Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earthpack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earthpack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, <laughs> welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. <laughs> Our guest this week had an incredible with major achievements in surfing and in business. With a stellar and successful amateur career, he dominated the NSSA, including a national title and an amateur world title in the 1984 games that gave him, in the U.S., the gold medal against Oz. Yeah, yeah. He continued his success, turning pro, and made a name for himself on the world tour and charging the North Shore. This guy, we're going to talk about cleanup sets and stuff in a little while. <laughs> Uh, after retiring from pro surfing, his business career is just as impressive. He's worked for some of the biggest and most iconic brands in our industry, including Oakley, Quicksilver, and currently at School Candy. I don't know, 12 That's right. years or 12 years. Five. Yeah. He has an extensive background in sales and marketing, brand managing, and he's a national sales director. We are pumped and stoked to sit down with one of the greatest come out of HB, <laughs> both in and out of the water. This guy's the man, Mr. Scott Barney Farnsworth. Barney! Woo! He blew our guest ears out. Hold on. Before we start, this commercial has to go. Hold on. That's what I, that's what I think about when I think about Scott Farnsworth. <laughs> USA. I like it. I love it. I love it. You know, I'm back in the USA too, so yes. A lot of people don't these days, but not me. Well, I mean, you've had some. I mean, some some crazy, you know, accolades, you know, throughout your your life. And, yeah. And you know, as an amateur, getting that success young is incredible. You know, yeah. and then What's continuing up, on and. Me being a pro surfer, and it's always about me too. Then, yeah. <laughs> that transition from surf 
to work and, and how that goes and, and, and what you've done after is, is really interesting to, to most. So, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it all. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy it went well because when you, when you actually first start doing it, you don't want to do it. Yeah. No. When you're a pro surfer and someone tells you it's over, you got to go to work, it's yeah. like, huh? Wait, what? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a minute. Yeah. I used to get paid to travel around and surf. That's way more fun yeah. than going to work. So, yeah. So, it, it's, it's worked out good. I, I, I made the transition. <laughs> well, before we get started um, talking about the here and now, and right before we started the interview, we were talking about how... Your generation was pretty much when USA, NSSA, WSA, yeah. like the whole amateur surfing really became legit yeah. and solidified and started catching fire yeah. across the country. Right? Yeah, it seemed like, I mean, again, that's kind of my impression as well. It's a little bit hard to step back, like at that time, if I was older and had a better knowledge base of what happened prior and what's happened since or whatever. Yeah. It'd be a little bit easier to compare. But certainly from my perspective at that time, yeah. it was like all of a sudden there was this really legitimate, serious um, sort of path to to get to pro surfing. Yeah. And, you know, my, my dad surfed as a kid. So I got started at a super young age. I was four or five years old. He started taking me down to San Alejo and, you know, in Cardiff and, Were you and born in San Onofre. I was born and raised in Huntington. Okay. Yep. Um, well, actually, of, technically, I was born in Harbor City. Harbor City. Yeah, Harbor City was where I was born, but we were. My parents lived in Huntington. Okay. They were from Long Beach, so I, that's I guess why we ended up at the hospital in, in north, Harbor City. North, <laughs> north end of Huntington. Like, kind of the north end by Marina High School, kind of. Yeah, yeah, over by Huntington Harbor, kind of. Okay. On the on the outskirts of Huntington Harbor, over yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, another bolsa so, guy over here. Yeah. Our what? Twenty six. Thirty three. Thirty three. Thirty three. I might spend a lot of time at thirty three. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but back to that point, it's like. It, it became with with Chuck Allen and John Rothrock, and I know there was other founders, I'm not aware of their names, sorry. But um, when they formed the NSSA and the way they founded it in like scholastics to make sure that you had to like, you had to have your act together, right? You couldn't just be kind of this yeah. sort of free spirit, like I don't know what I'm gonna do in my life kind of guy. You had to be a little bit serious about your yeah. stuff. And Peter and Ian were like that as well. And they were certainly were that way as coaches and, and the organization was that way. They incentivized you to do good in school and to stay in school and to, yeah. all that stuff. So. It was a it was a really good fit and a, and pretty much the coolest part was all the best guys went there. Yeah. So you knew you were in the best company of, of the country yeah. when you were surfing in a say event. So if you could compete and do well there, then you knew you had a shot. Yeah. And was, so it was bitching. And sometimes we got scholarship money and all kinds of cool shit yeah. happened. So it was great. Yeah. But coming out of the seventies where surfing was kinda like you're an outcast, you're a yeah. druggy, you're a totally. smoker, you yeah. you know, yep. drop out, like, you know, yep. just not clean cut and yeah. then these guys totally came in yeah. and made it like legitimate legitimate and a yeah. little bit more prestigious in a way and, yeah. and gave you a path you know total path yep which so let's go back your dad's was a surfer yep what kind of surfing was your dad longboarder so yeah dad was a longboarder well started out as like when i was a kid he was a longboarder and all the boards that were around the house when i was a little grown were longboards and that's what i started surfing on and and, uh, but then as I got better, I don't, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I'm going to guess it was when I was a teenager at some time. I was like, obviously thrusters had come out and it was the big, everybody was shifting to that office. Like I grew up on single fins, right? So my first board was like a six, four rounded pin, single fin or whatever. Right. And so as that, um, thrusters came into the mix and that my dad was got started getting curious in that, but he was like an older guy and a little bigger and all that. And so 
he ended up getting, I think the boards he rode were, uh, and, and Hayward shaped them, which is who oh, I was Carl riding Hayward. for, Carl Hayward. But they were basically an 8.2 or 8.0 size thruster. Yeah. It looked just like a shortboard, only it was 8.2. Yeah. Dang. So it would have that same kind of outline, the same, same proportions and all that. And then and his surfing went like awesome, like because yeah. he wasn't just cruising on a longboard and he... He was good on a longboard, yeah. but he dug he, the idea of being a little more. Goofy. He was goofy foot as well. Okay. Yeah. So. Chip off the old block. Chip off the old block. Exactly. Yeah. Screw you guys. <laughs> now, was, was Hayward uh, also part of the the Bolsa Thirty Three crew? No. Or? Nope. I got. I'm trying to remember exactly how this happened. This is a classic story. So, I got a surfboard for Christmas one year. I was probably eight, something like that, maybe nine, somewhere in that ballpark, and I got a. Um, a board from Jax. I don't know who made it, uh, but it just had a Jax logo on it. So it was like a their, their private label thing that somebody yeah. was making at the time. And uh, I went out surfing on the north side of the pier one day, and it was a cold winter day. It was bright and sunny though, but it w- I was out real early. And I took off on this wave, and somehow or another, I got crossed up with another dude that was on a like a fish. And we collided so hard that his board went over the top of mine and then therefore the fins hit the rail, right? Yeah. And literally his board went almost to my stringer. Dang. We had to like pry him apart. Yeah, I had to to peel his board out of mine. (laughs) So my board was done, right? Out of board. Almost cut in half, right? So You were eight? I was like eight or nine, somewhere in there, yeah. And so... Christmas board. Christmas board, yeah. I was so bummed. It was like my first brand new surfboard, the whole deal. And it was within a few weeks of Christmas, you know? I think I'd probably written it a couple times. That was probably my third or fourth surf on it or something. And who was the guy? Um, I don't know who the guy was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. I, I don't know if it's been He's so long. He's not around anymore. Yeah, and I'm I mean? sure. <laughs> I guarantee it was his fault. It couldn't have been mine. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sitting on the beach, literally crying, because I'm like eight and my board's yeah. ruined, and I and I and on top of that, I can't even go surfing now because my yeah. surfboard's almost cut in half. And so I'm sitting on the beach and I'm literally crying, trying to figure out what to do. And this dude walks up to me and he's like, hey man, what's up? You okay? Like, let it. And I tell him, oh, it's good. Like, dude, my yeah. board is cut in half. And, you know? yeah. <laughs> and he goes, dude, come with me. And so he walks, we walk up, we walk up to Jack Surfboards right there on the corner. And he goes inside and he gets up his paper or whatever. And he comes out and he goes, hey, we're going to fix this for you. And so he gets, starts filling out like a little form or whatever. A ding repair form. Yeah, ding repair form. Yeah. You know, sticks on the board, tells me, you know, contact him in a week or whatever. Lo and behold, I find out it's Dwight Dunn. No way. Double D. Double D. And yes. I th- yeah, double D. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Dwight worked for Jax at the time, I think. Yeah. And he was a, a mastery of board construction right. and, and worked a factory. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He, that was his business, right? Yeah. He, he knew what to do. So maybe he fixed it himself on the side, but he for ran sure. it through Jax. I don't remember the whole story exactly why, but that's how I met Dwight. Yeah. So... He was so cool and so good to me and just took care of me and fixed my board and the whole deal. So we got to be friends. I got to know him and I'd see him out in the water more and all that. So I don't remember exactly how this went down, but bottom line, a few years later, him and Carl connected and started their business together. And I gravitated over and that's how I met Carl. And Carl ended up becoming my shaper all the way through my first year, maybe year and a half on tour. Yeah. So So um, yeah, it was amazing. Backtrack, you get that board, but... You know, we always talk about moving from spot to spot, yeah, and the the localism, yeah, you know, and yeah, the, and the tension that, you yeah, know, you know, the anxiety you face. Sometimes oh, people yeah. are oblivious to it, but yeah. then 
Wait, other times you know. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, wait, I'm in uncharted waters. So well, his dad's probably like, yeah, we're going to Bolsa because it's closer to home and yeah. it's less crowd or whatever. And then you're yeah. probably starting to rip, and you got kids going. We're going to the pier. I want to go to the pier, Dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and and as I got older and got better, right? I wanted to surf the best waves that were in town or whatever. And yeah. typically the pier was typically a little bit bigger, a little bit better. There was always better sandbars. Whatever. All the dudes that rip, surf right? The pier. Exactly. All the best guys would typically be at the pier. Yeah. So you wanted to sort of be around that crew. That's why Landon never surfs. <laughs> I've never seen him there. <laughs> you, you know that there is that like hierarchy, totally, and pecking order yep. with every spot. And I and I remember like my earliest memories of kind of dealing with that. And I'm gonna throw a couple guys under the bus here a little bit, but I remember the Downey crew was like really intimidating to yeah, me, right? Yeah. And not that they were mean to me or anything, but they were just heavy guys, especially yeah. Mike, you know? Big dudes. Yeah. yeah, and they were big. Yeah. I was a little yeah. kid, yeah. Loud, loud, yep. yeah. yeah. Loud, and, and big. Aggressive. Yep. Yeah. And uh, who else? Randy Wedeen was another one. Um, I'm sure there's others I just that can't think just of right now. Yeah, they just kind of give you a vibe. And the thing about it, which I actually still respect to some degree, like, because you guys know, like, yeah. you go down and surf lowers or whatever. You go to surf blacks or, God forbid, you surf swamis or wherever where there's 900 people in the water, yeah. right? Yeah. There's got to be some level of of order. etiquette and yeah. order, yeah. right? Yeah. And Which is almost gone these days. Yeah. And, and part of that's because there's just so many people in the water. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, for the there's always a certain group that's going to be sitting where they need to sit, yeah. right? So there's only maybe five or six or eight or ten yeah. guys in the spot, yeah. right? But within those eight or ten guys, like there's there should be a little bit of a pecking order. Who's been waiting the longest? Who's yeah. been out here for a half hour waiting for a set? Yeah. Just because you're not the furthest guy out or the guy on the most inside doesn't mean it's not your turn, yeah. right? But right. people have to recognize... I'm fifth or I'm eighth or yeah. I'm not first, right? Well, and that doesn't happen anymore unless somebody gets a little tuned once in yeah. a while. And I, I'm not down for the whole localism, be an asshole. That, I hate that shit. But somehow there's got to be a balance yeah. in there, right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I te teach my kid. I'm like, you want to catch a lot of waves, you find out who goes left more, who goes right more. Exactly. Who doesn't make the drop? Who misses there's, waves? I'm like, you got to just not just be out there with your freaking tunnel vision waiting right. for waves. You got to look at like yeah. everything, which but, is doesn't happen because nobody's been taught and they just go out. Well, here's what they have learned. What they've learned is guy on the inside has right away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not if you back paddle me. Yeah. yeah. Not if you're, There's I've so been waiting a half hour and you paddle up and sit on my inside five feet and call me off. Like, there, no. There's so <laughs> many nuances to yeah. 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 that have created this monster right. of, of right. no etiquette. No right. etiquette, right. Like the COVID thing attracted so many surfers. Yep. The schools, the you know yep. surf schools themselves yep. haven't done a great job i think they don't of, teach etiquette of teaching etiquette and Agreed. just like i mean in all reality like anybody who's a new beginner surfer even if they're not like even if they're two years into it but aren't good should not surf the pier no you no. know like they no. should go to Bolsa, right. or even like the mid streets of Huntington, or yeah. down the beach. Yeah, but that's kind of what people should tell those people. Should tell people, yeah. right? Oh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Don't just go out and be another body in the water. Yeah. It's ironic to me because surfing lowers all the time since I lived there. You see so many guys in the water, and you think, okay, I'm not catching a lot of waves today, and I'm yeah. catching. Way more waves than these guys, right? Why would you yeah. be out there? I don't know why they go and you, and they keep coming back. And yeah. I think if I had a surf like that yeah. more than two or three times at the same spot, yeah. I'd quit surfing there. Yeah. 
Because like I want to go out and ride. I'm surfing so I can ride waves. Yeah. I'm not surfing so I can sit and chat with my buddies. Right. Yeah. Like, that's part of it, but not the main reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I I still am perplexed that yeah. dudes go out there, surf for three hours, ride one or two waves, and they're back the next day. And I'm yeah. like. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, I have to share this experience that I had like maybe a year ago. I'm surfing Southside, like Tower Five, down yeah. the beach. Down the beach ways, yeah. And this couple was surfing. I, I've met them afterwards, but it's fun wave, right? It's like shoulder high. I'm on my little two plus one, just zinging. Yeah. And I catch this left, and this girl who's pretty new to surfing, but she can stand up. She looks right at me and she goes, going left, and stood up and stood up and went in front of me and I like almost hit her and she falls and she looks at me. She goes, I told you I was going left. Oh my God. And I'm like, what? That's amazing. As you're already going down yes. the coming up. So there's, like, a, there's a perfect example of my yeah, point, right? Yes. Like not only but do I, they not learn the etiquette, but what they do learn is wrong. Yeah. Like, wait, I told you I was going left. Right. I, I, I said it. me the right away. Right. I'm like, you guys, I like, that's not how it works. It's just, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to be polite, be yeah. nice as you can. Yeah. Like, I was so just, tell, in my head, I'm just like screaming, right? So I'll tell you a quick story that chives in with that. So again, Sir Flores a lot. Crowd gets insane out there sometimes, right? Insane. Had a particular issue. This was last summer, I think. Might have been summer before last. I sit out there, I wait for, I don't even know how long. It had to be at least a half hour. Every dude in the lineup, and there were the boys were out, right? Yeah. It was like Chloe and, and Griff and like the whole crew, the normal crew that's out there is out. And so, and we all kind of know, right? We all yeah. kind of, and then there's a few guys that still get away with more than they should anyway because they're yeah. Chloe, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. I sat for, I don't even know how long. Everybody in the lineup around me knew when sets came, they're like, Farney, you in? I'm like, no, I'm waiting. Like, so everybody kind of knew it was my turn, right? Yeah. It was that kind of a vibe. I'd waited that long for yeah. a sick one. Finally, this perfect one comes through. Everybody's like, Farney, you're on it, right? I'm like, sick, I'm going right, right? So sure enough, what happens, this guy back paddles me. I'm dropping in this wave and I'm, I'm already, my temper went from yeah. zero to 10 just because he was even in the area. Yeah. And I knew in his mind, he thought, this is him. It's his way of where yeah. so just straight up back paddle me. We're just some random guy. I come off the bottom. I do like one turn. I come, come, come down the face. Here he comes. I'm just like, so he ends up kind of, cause I turned down. He kind of went out in front of me a little bit, but down the face of the wave. So I ended up sort of behind him, not like back this way, but above him. Right and kind of heading down toward him. He was almost going straight into the beach at this point because the wave had kind of mushed out and we were just on the shoulder. And so I was just, I just saw red, right? And so I rode up behind him since I had the speed coming down the face. I rode up behind him and I literally jumped and tackled him. Yes. Which I don't, which which I don't. Yeah, like in the moment. Is awesome. In hindsight, it's wrong. Yeah. But 100%. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching this. I'm not telling you this is what you should do. But yeah, like it just, it was so infuriating. I can't and I just, I jumped on that. this guy's back and we went in the water, right? And I come up and he's looking at me like he, did, he obviously he didn't even know I was there, right? Because I, he was facing the beach and yeah. I was behind him, right? So, so anyway, we come up and, and I just, I just basically look at him, you know, and he's like, well, and I'm like, I looked right at him, I go, you don't even know what you did, right? Like, you, it's not even like you'd be mad at you because you don't even know what went down. Yeah. And so we spent the next literally 15, 20 minutes just me trying to 
basically trying to educate him, like, right? Like, I, I didn't punch him. I didn't, we didn't get, it was yeah. nothing violent or anything. It's just, I wanted to try to take the opportunity to educate somebody, you know, and maybe he'll tell his friends and yeah. his friends will tell their and friends. Said, this, guy, this guy, maybe tackled me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely got a bit of a bad rap on that one. And, and um, so I don't jump on people anymore. If that's I could, so, I could avoid did, it. Yeah. That's so out of character. <laughs> I know. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like, yeah. But I get... I can only suppress it for so long, Bro, you know, like you, you just don't know how many times, yeah. how many times yeah. they, that we've had to you know, <laughs> right. suppress it right. and bite your tongue and just yeah. paddle away. Well, and you, and you know right. the deal, when you get in an issue, like you have a hassle with somebody, even yeah. if it's just an a argument, right, just yeah. a verbal thing, it just ruins your it's, session, it's right? Negative, yeah. Everybody in the water is bummed, you're bummed, yeah. he's bummed, everybody's bummed. It's just, yeah. it's a bad vibe. So it I, sucks. But it's, a, it's yeah. a fine line between like this guy who likes to surf down the beach because it's less crowded, but... The people out there are a lot less, right? You know, yeah, in the know, right? You know, right. versus surfing the pier, where yeah, you got a hassle, but most often you, you know, you could work with guys that are better girls too. People you, know that you yeah. know, it's like you kind of work together, split, you know, yeah. But it's really difficult when when you're just like, I'm gonna go down on the beach because there's like half many people for both yeah. spots. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. is. So going back. HB. HB Young. Or gets crashed by a twin finner. Yep, yep. And Dwight D. Dwight helps me out. Saves yep. your saves board. me. That's awesome. Yeah. And when did you start getting into uh, contests? Contests and stuff? Uh, I don't remember how old I was. Um, I want to say I was probably around 11 or 12. Wow. And I think my mom brought it up to me. So I, don't even, I don't even know if I knew about it, but there was the annual Huntington Beach yeah. City, contest. Con- City Contest. And so, and at the that time... the first contest you did. The first contest I ever did. Cool. And they didn't hold it at the pier either. It was held down at um, basically like 15th Street or 17th Street, where wow. the old surfing sport used to be, yeah. down there like halfway between Golden West yeah. and the pier. It was down there somewhere. So I entered and I surfed in it and I did okay. I didn't make the final, I don't think. I, I think I got to a semi maybe the first year. So I did okay. It was like good enough to go. Oh, yeah. that, that was cool. I had fun, and you know. And so the following year, I entered, and I think I won that year. And that's what kind of clicked. clicked everything. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is because I, my dad being a surfer, in I think he started in high school. So when I was born, like he got me in the water as early as possible. Yeah. So I was way ahead of most kids yeah. at that age. Did you bypass boogie boarding and all that? Yep. Didn't do any of that yeah. stuff. Straight on to That's surfing. Hell and, no. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. I, I hate to say it. I'll age myself right now. But I don't think they'd even invented a boogie board when I was that age. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> I, don't re- I remember like when Tom Moray like came out with the boogie board. So yeah. I think that was this was prior yeah. when I started. But um, And there certainly weren't like soft top boards. Yeah. Yeah. Who, so, who yeah, was like your like your crew that you went and surfed with like junior high bunch like, of high bunch of high school, high school buddies yeah. yeah when i was before high school there i i didn't have any surf buddies other than my dad wow and so and i just and there i loved no surfing Groms running around. no there was nobody i can't that's that really kind of outside of you know getting a sur- surfing contest where you're kind of friends. like yeah, yeah. yeah it's like your your daily surf set right you know you're kind of like right. always challenged how would you get to the beach and it came into that like after well mom was amazing like yeah. since my dad was a surfer like it was a family thing like being dropped off at the beach for six so hours good. was normal right so <laughs> the only problem was every now and then i'd get left at the beach because i wanted to stay and surf so much like yeah. if later on when i got a little bit older and i had friends and they could drive and all that kind of stuff we would all go surfing four or five of us would surf and 
inevitably I'd be the last one in the water and everybody would be up in the car already in their clothes, ready to go, and I'd still be waiting for a set. Yeah. <laughs> and a few times people just drove off. You know? <laughs> and I would just have to call mom and go, I got left to the beach. And, yeah. You know? So, yeah. But um, I, I, it was all, I didn't really have good surf buddies, like dudes that I surfed with all the time until yeah. high school. Yeah, and then it was just a, a crew. Gary Clisby ended yeah. up being one of those guys. Nice. Um, Bill Beasley was another dude. Brian Wormick, um, guys that didn't do anything with surfing, but just they were all guys at rippers, high school. Local that, yeah, local rippers that surfed. Half of those guys worked at, at uh, Carl's shop as well. When we got a little bit older, we all ended up working there. And yeah, so that that was the community after a while. Were, yeah. So once you made the jump from like you know Bolsa, now you're like, hey, I got sponsor Carl Hayward yep. surfing the pier every day. Like what, that was. Hayward, your first sponsor? Yeah. Okay. Yep. First guy, I, I, as far as I remember, yeah. First guy that ever gave me a deal or a free board. Or, I, don't, I don't even remember exactly how it started. I was pretty young. I got to think I paid for my early boards, but I mean, maybe not. He was pretty cool. Yeah. He, he wanted to support me. And, and so from a pretty early age, he just started making me boards and whatever where, I wanted. Where was his shop? You know? Was it in the Jack's building by that point or was it up, no, up he, the street? No, he eventually had the shop. Well, sorry, it was in the Jack's building, but it was his own space. Right? Yeah, he yeah, was the yeah. first right, one right by the, the alley. alley. Yep. The last little slot. Exactly. Yeah. He was the alley one. And uh, so that's by the time I actually rode for him, he had that store. Okay. Yeah. And then his shaping bay was down on... 14th or 15th street something like that it was like two blocks back from where surf and sport was yeah. one of the, one of those streets right there and it was like two blocks back on the corner it was this little old it was probably somebody's house yeah. back in the day yeah but they turned it into a little shaping room glass shop and dwight was over there glassing and carl was in the other room shaping and it was just this one little thing with two dudes and they they just had their business and they were Man, ripping it's yeah it's so crazy to learn and, and hear stories about what the scene was like way back in the day well that whole to, to give you a visual from god i don't know what is it fifth or sixth street to yeah. golden west there was basically i don't know six or eight buildings yeah like there was the serpent sport building yeah. there was like a energy like sdg and e or something like that there was yeah. something there there was some school thing or like it was like utility type yeah. buildings but and none of those apartments and houses were there. and oil Rigs. And oil rigs. Yeah, yeah. Lots. yeah. 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 Oil rigs and a bunch of empty lots. Yeah. So yeah. you'd go, well, once you hit Golden West Street, which was prior to that was all the oil fields anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you got on the other side of um, Golden West, there was no fencing and all that, but yeah. it was just blank fields. Yeah. You know, it was just dirt fields. It, it's wild to think how many growing up here and seeing what it's evolved to right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, we play ditch them there's like dirt fields like they're building houses we're building skate ramps like every other week just yeah. stealing wood from everywhere they're building it was yeah. wild so we well, one of the things we used to do too like because i used to surf balls chica all the time right and i'd get down there because i could ride my bike from my house because we lived up that side of town so we'd ride down to the end of what is it bolsa chica there i guess it dead ends kind of by warner street and then there's all these fields back there well, you could kind of get through, through the gate and cut through, and then you could eventually ride down and cross over the marshland where that little bridge is yeah. in between the two swamp lands, whatever they call that over there. And so that's how we'd get down to the beach. But up in there, there was like BMX tracks and yeah. like forts. There was all these underground, like I think, I think there were bunkers yeah. from yeah. World War II or whatever, maybe. Yeah. I don't know what it was from. But, yeah, lookouts. But you could like lower yourself down with a rope. And we used to do all this shit. It was the most dangerous crap in the world. I can't believe yeah. nobody ever died or got hurt or whatever. But 
Yeah, we would just, you know, me and my buddies would go over there with our bikes and our BMX bikes or whatever. When, when we weren't surfing, we'd go over there and mess around. But it was just us. There was no adults around. There was yeah. nothing. And we would, like, lower ourselves into these pitch black, like, yeah. caves, you know. And you get down there and you'd see, like, oh, somebody had been living down here for a week or whatever. <laughs> just do, you, do you remember, like, stuff, yeah. like, the first OP or was there OP or, or Caton? Do you remember going down? Like, was your oh, dad? Yeah. You know, I remember like, the first Caton. Your dad surfed surf family, I'm assuming, like. Yep. parents were like yeah. hey the contest we're gonna go down there and see the pros or whatever yeah my my dad wasn't that much into that side of it okay. honestly he loved surfing him and his buddies surfed and all that but he wasn't connected to the whole competition side of it or yeah. whatever i obviously got into that because i was immersed in it and yeah but um i don't know how old i was but i remember hearing from someone maybe it was my dad i'm not sure but about the caton contest yeah. and at that time it was done at um uh what do they even call it now the the um the gap there north of cliffs yeah but north of um golden west north of golden west what's sea point cove no the cove yeah. and they just call it the cove right yeah, yeah. where the where yeah. there was now there's a little parking lot there yeah but back that, in the day there was that was the first caton was at the cove wow right there yeah so we went down and i remember walking around and i again i don't remember how old that was i was probably 12 13 somewhere in that ballpark Never knew that. and yeah. i remember seeing the guy that is burned in my brain is sean thompson and he had that, I think he had that blue railed clear board with a little design on the deck and it was a single fin. And he had, you know, the, the jerseys were like the Caton, like yeah, the, that Kate hard yeah. material that yeah. doesn't stretch or anything, you know, it was that kind of a vibe. And uh, wow. I don't remember who won that year or whatever, but I remember going down and watching a day or two. Um, yeah. I don't know if I saw the final or whatever, but yeah, it was, that was a big deal. Cause you saw guys that you saw in magazines, you could see them in person. Yeah. Was, it was insane. I, I, I think the first one I went to was when Kern won on Northside. Like, I don't remember, like, yeah. I was, you know, you know, yeah. Knew, yeah. Bit, but like, yeah. I never knew they ran one down at the cliff. I you think that I was mean? the last one because Before I think every time after that, I don't remember ever being there twice for that event. I think they moved it to the pier the following and it year. It ran only a few more years. Yeah, it was. took time, time off. Yeah, it so didn't last were, forever. Were you. <clears throat> engulfed with magazines and going to the surf shops because you know it's kind of weird it, it I, I told you guys earlier i did did the show with pt last night and kind of reliving the whole world contesting in that and yeah. and through that whole process like it wasn't it was just part of what i did it wasn't like i grew up thinking like i want to do this and i want to be a world champ and yeah you know like be a pro surfer like it kind of it existed yeah but it wasn't like so prevalent that like you knew that you could go do that. Yeah. And it, there was really wasn't enough money in it at the time to where too many people could do it. Right. I mean, you know, if you go back to the day, right, you go PT's era and prior to that and whatever, guys got around because they like sold some weed on the side and got enough money to get yeah. to the next country, right? Shake their own boards. Well, yeah, yeah. You, do the, you do the whole thing where remember Lock, guys were Levi's making boards and, yeah. and they would drill holes in them and yeah. fill them full of drugs yeah. and ship them somewhere and sell them, right? I mean, yeah. there was some pretty tricky stuff that went yeah. on back in the day for guys to travel around and surf. It's more of like a fantasy life right yeah like maybe i could go surf hawaii or go right. uh, go yeah. do you know do right. a couple of trips right i wanted to were, i wanted to surf i wanted to surf good ways i wanted to travel i wanted to do a lot but as i was growing up even up to the world contest i wasn't thinking like i am going to be a professional surfer and yeah. win a world title it wasn't part yeah. of my psyche and so when like, i did win i was like oh so now i probably can go on tour yeah. and maybe i can do really well and 
excel and yeah. do whatever, you know. It's kind of where it's back now too. Like, but so so back to being to your question, back to being a kid, it was that wasn't part of my psyche. Yeah. Like I just wanted, I loved surfing and I wanted to surf all day. Yeah. That but, was it. It was that and again the competition side, amateur surfing turning into pro surfing. That was still in the early stages. Super of, early, yeah. Of the sport, exactly. The culture. Yep. Um, so Hayward. Yeah. When you were when you brought up that you started riding for Hayward, all your airbrushes were starting to flash in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Who, who came up with the airbrushes? So I think Carl and I came up with it together, but I was basing. You had some iconic ones. Well, I was basing it off of Tom Carroll because he became yes. someone that I just focused on. I mean, just Tom surfing was unbelievable to me and there was a few influencers that kind of touched me as a kid and bud was one of them yeah llamas and for those of you that don't know bud by bud yeah <laughs> um but yeah and then tom you yeah. know and tom was just unbelievable so um i love that little one stripe thing that he had yeah. down and so but then carl had his own label right his yeah. own logo was that kind of wishbone thing yeah. and so we kind of took a hybrid of those two and just kind of made that into my little color scheme and yeah. I did that for a few years and it kind of became my little gig but yeah and, and everything was bright back then too right so yeah. it was like we were putting neon orange and yellow and whatever you know so yeah. but yeah so, I mean you could tell who you were from a mile away right right you yeah. know like yeah. not only you're surfing but because of your airbrush you're like oh yeah it's yeah and that it, was a, that we was were that way too. Like I was the same way with other guys, right? Like you could spot current with that band, yeah. right? Yeah, whether it's red or black or whatever, you could. It's like you knew, you know. Yeah. And then other guys like um, John Parmenter would be a good example. You yeah. know, or Richie Collins is probably a better example. Yeah. Like you, you knew, you saw him, you could yeah. see his Everybody board had a had mile had away. Had to look, That's yeah, your individual like identity. You yeah. Know? yeah. So, so going back, you surfed the city contest. You won that second year. When did you get more uh, serious about pro, kind of uh, amateur surfing? Surfing, yeah. So I started doing WSA events. And I, again, I don't remember my ages, but I'm probably like 12, 13, something like that. And it's the Tysons running it, right? Oh, that I don't know. No, no it, it was before Bob, them. Okay. Was there Bob Pace? No, it was Bob... Uh, yeah, was there a guy? There was a guy, Bob Pace, right? I think I think he had something to do with Bob Gray, WSA. It could have been that. I don't know. I forget. I want to say Bob Pace, but I'm not sure if that's even so WSA's. But WSA's, which you know, we had them sporadically in, in town or whatever. So yeah. I started entering those, and unfortunately, the few times I entered those events, because I, I wasn't like super into, I wasn't going like every event type thing. I just started sporadically entering yeah. events that were close to home or whatever. And um, but I didn't do that well, but that was okay. It was not doing well was okay, but it was the way in which I wasn't doing okay. Like they were just run so poorly. Like you, you know, I mean, when the NSSA came in and kind of formalized everything and made it really like they had their act together. Right. Yeah. So if they would publish something the day before, like you could see your heat draw, you know that they were going to start at eight. They were 15 minute heats. You were in the sixth heat. So you do the math, right? I surf at nine fifteen, whatever that is. Yeah. So you show up at nine fifteen, and sure enough, your heat would be getting yeah. in the water. Right. With the WSA, you'd think that you were surfing at 9.15 and you'd surf at 11.45 because they just got started late because they didn't show up on time because they don't care that much yeah. <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I didn't have a great experience with that because I was just, it was just kind of, and it was hard to have your parents come and watch and support you because they're like, well, yeah, we'll go down and watch this heat. And then they sit for three hours before you even surf, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff like that. So it kind of just 
it was just sporadic events here and there. And then again, when NSSA was formed and that all started, it just, everybody knew that like that was the place to go. And yeah. so once I did that, I just entered every event. And I think they did a thing like that. You could pay for the whole season, right? You could yeah, pay for yeah. 18 events or whatever it was with one check. And so my parents were cool to commit to that. And so we just did it. And yeah. that's how I got way more into it. And what was cool about that is you weren't, you know, we were talking about this all the time, like WSAs, you know, they have all these districts and it's like your regional. And it's the same as like, you're, you're surfing one event maybe all year in your town. All the other 15, right. whatever, right. plus minus are out of your town in right. different areas, you right. know? So, Which was awesome because you'd have to go and challenge yourself against yeah. the guys in LA yeah. and the guys in Santa Cruz yeah. and the guys Surfed in totally San Diego. Ways, and it got you all of it. exposed to all those yeah. other red hot rippers. That yep. were, and the spots, like he said, yeah. different like, waves. It, yeah, yeah, when you are able to like surf your own home break well, you're like, okay, cool. And then you go right. to surf somewhere else. Like you imagine showing up to like, C Street and be like, right. wait, what is this? Like, you <laughs> right. know, right. or uh, they didn't do Swami's, but they did um, Seaside, which they just did the, you know, right. World Amateur. I like, just saw the event. Outside Boy, you know, like just totally different. Totally yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I went up all the way to Pleasure Point and lost first heat because it was low tide and there's so much kelp. I couldn't even like take off. All I did is hit seaweed the whole time. You do that for you. You want to make you feel better? You want to make you feel better? I flew to Japan and surfed one heat and came home. <laughs> so, I've done that too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it gets harder as you get older. But, but, like, you know, like it's so challenging, like, you yeah. know. But it's fun at the same time. You're doing all these, like, it's a, it's a, an excursion, you know. It's a weekend getaway. It's totally. A freaking, yep. You know, but. So it was. And that was actually, that was half the fun of doing right? all that, right? Because yeah, you, you remember you, who you won or lost. You mean building right. relationships yeah. and, right. and connecting with all these other rippers up and down the yep. coast. Traveling. Through that whole process, I started. I got to know uh, Dave Parmiter and I went up and spent a couple of days with him one time and he showed me around the Cayucas area and that whole zone. You yeah. know, it was all those times right. of things. That was the adventure part of it and it was, so, it was amazing. Uh, official when did you start yeah. picking up uh, <laughs> other sponsors? Ooh, good question. So my sponsorship as Is an that, amateur. That's another like facet of surfing well, that started happening. Yeah, and at yeah. the time, it's classic you brought that up because at the time, there was a full-on line drawn between amateurs and pros. And the NSSA was, you know, as they formed, they were one of the gatekeepers of that, right? So if you were an amateur, you couldn't receive certain things right as as things progress and the years got there they started saying okay you can accept things but you just have to use it like Earth. you can't go buy whatever yeah, it's got to yeah. use travel yeah it's yeah. got to be travel or it's got to be for equipment or yeah. it's you got to spend that money wisely right if yeah. if you were getting money from somebody which not too many people did but if you got any support it had to be in the the process of improving your sport right not other things yeah so um but for me as an amateur um the only sponsorships I had, because once I made the national team, which was everything so early on that I didn't have sponsors prior to making the national team. So once I made the national team, my sponsors were the national team sponsors. Yeah. O'Neill OP. So I at the time, the one I remember, so Arena, oh, remember the sweats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arena sweats was was the big one. They're the best. Ugg Boots, when they first, the very first time Ugg, Ugg Boots, Boots came sponsor? out, Ugg was Dang. our sponsor. Smart. I think we were the first people they gave free product to, I think. I don't even know. They were brand new, and but they they wanted to sell in surf shops, and so they were establishing distribution there. Yeah. And so they sponsored the NSSA. So Arena, them, and then eventually, um, I remember Quicksilver was an apparel sponsor one of the years. I think it was 
one of my lat- latter years uh, on the team. But yeah, so it was whatever the team sponsor was, was my sponsor. Yeah. So outside of Carl, it was just whatever the team had. Yeah. Then when I went pro, then it was like, okay, now we're going out for individual sponsorships and how, trying how to long, land those deals. How long did you surf the NSSAs? Um, had to be five, five years? Yeah. Five, maybe even six. It's kind of those teenage years where, yeah. you know, whether it's WSA or CSA, you know, some of the other yeah. smaller yeah. organizations. And then when you're serious, like, it's kind of like you're 13, 14 to, yeah. like, about to turn pro. That yeah. later I think I made, I want to say I made the team when I was 15 or 16, somewhere around there. And then the I... Nationals? National team? Yeah. The, well, the NSA national team. Yeah, not yeah. the world team, but the national team. Yeah. And so... Um, Which is a... Uh, prestigious yeah because they only had that was amazing at the time yeah yeah because you, you knew, try it out and yep well know. and you knew if you were on that team you were for the most part not that there wasn't a few guys here and there but for the most part you were on a team that was the best guys in the country yeah for the most part because they, they we're you know, talking what part of their team would be Bully, an east coast guy clisby oh yeah so it's funny i was just looking at this picture that Booth. pt sent me last night boothie yeah wolcott doug silva Sick. mike parsons Brad Gerlach. Cool. I don't know if you know Dave Oates. No. Dave Oates became a doctor doing amazingly well. <laughs> um, you had Janice on there. Yeah. You had Craig uh, Komen. Yep. You had Todd Holland. So sick. Um, there was Alyssa Schwarzenstein. There was um, Kim Merrig from Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, Dang. Heavy. Yeah. yeah. So there was, and there, I'm missing some other people too. There was a local guy here. Um, Couple kneeboard guys. Phil Fine was yeah. the kneeboard kid from here in yeah. Huntington. Um, yeah, I, I know I'm forgetting a couple of the people, but yeah, it was it was an amazing crew. And, and that particular cool. photo, it ended up in the World Conscious, ended up being me, Doug, and Wooly in the top three spots. Because we were all on the national team, and then we all made the world team, and then we dominated the top three spots in the men's division. So that was really cool. Yeah, you know, that was a good era. Yeah, I mean, and we were not favored to win, like. We were not even close. I mean, you had Kong, and Kong was already Kong, right? I mean, Quick, man, man, Quick, Junior Man already. Yeah, Quick where, had where made that? Kong. Where was that world you know? contest? It was, this is the coolest part about it. We talked about this last night. To win that world title, you had to, it was like a mini tour. There was four separate events that were all equally weighted. So it was like a mini world tour. That's actually So the really first great. event, yep, first event was, um, I think it was Brooker Street. Um, second event was Oceanside. Uh, right there at the harbor. Um, third event was Ventura Rivermouth. And then final event was back at north side of the pier. But all those were equally weighted. So you got yeah. points just like a, a tour event. And yeah. so I won one event, made a final and a second event. And the other two, I didn't do that well in, but I had the best point ratio. And, and the coolest part for me was, that, was that at least I won one of the events, right? Because yeah. nobody won two. Yeah. I, I made two finals and won one of them. And so I felt like, okay, that's, I'm worthy, right? Because I didn't want to be the guy that won a world title but never won an event, yeah. right? You, you got seconds all year, but There's you won. There's an asterisk, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I didn't want to have the asterisk, so I, that was cool. Yeah. That's and actually, they should, 84. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you were 84 world amateur, amateur champ. champ. Yeah. And then, and then in 80, and then I stayed amateur because I wasn't, this goes back to the earlier question. Like I wasn't thinking I can go be a pro surfer. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you need money, you need time, you know, all this stuff. And yeah. I was, you know, I was in college at the time. So I was like, do I quit college to go surf? Like, yeah. I wanted to, but I didn't know if it was smart, <laughs> you yeah. know, well, but then through that next year, 
I was able to put together sponsorship and and make it happen. So yeah. I was one year after the world title was when I went on tour. And there so was, 85. And there was no two-tier system. There was just pro events, oh, and you had the trials. You had to go yeah. show up and, yep. and work your way through... And that was that was the worst part about it. And if I if if I could change one thing, because I think it would have made my career, if you want to call it that, <laughs> a little bit different, was um, if the system was different. Because you know it was early days back then. But you're right. All they had was you were either a top sixteen guy, which you were a seed, seated, yeah. right, or you were a trialist. There's nothing in between. There was no late round seeding of trialists. None of that. You were either starting from the first round as a trialist, or you were a top sixteen seed. So if you were a top 16 seed, you could literally win one heat all year. And still be on. And you'd stay in the top 16 because there was no trialist that could get up there enough times to beat out your points that you're going to get just by sitting there. Except, yeah. except Tom Curran. So, well, yeah. That was, yeah. Tom's a whole other story. But yeah, but yeah so, um, so my first year on tour, we started like that. Yeah. From, and I actually did okay. My first two events, I got ninths. I was freaking out. I'm like, yeah. I was in like the top seven after two events or something crazy. <laughs> so I was like, this is easy. <laughs> but then I, you know, wheels fell off a little bit through the rest of that year. And I ended up in like 42nd or something like that. So Australia was a tough leg. <laughs> yeah. But then the following year, they said, okay, what we're going to start doing is seeding trialists into later rounds in the trial. So at least you got to skip a couple rounds and your, your odds improved of making the main event. Yeah. But the way they did it was they chose the current year rankings of those trialists when they started seeding them. And I hadn't started off that second year very good. So if they had done that the previous year, I would have been, right. But then, and then, so they went through that year and I didn't do that well. But then the next year they said, you know what? The way we did that, we were pulling the current ratings. That's not really that fair. We're going to pull last year's end of your ratings for the trialist and use that to see the trialist in the later rounds which would have been good for me the previous year (laughs) so anyway long story short yeah yeah. so they were they were changing the rules kind of every year which I understood because they were trying to figure out a better system which they did they totally locked it down and made it way better and now there's a nice path if you do perform you will like step your way up the ladder which is awesome where where were like these events that you know, you committed to, or did you just say, hey, we're doing the whole year, or did you do selective events? On the world tour, I did the yeah. whole, yeah. Once I decided I could go do the world tour, yeah. I was committed to the whole tour. And another part of it that wasn't ideal, but again, they were, you know, way younger. This is years ago, and they just didn't have the money, all that stuff. But they had like 24 to 26 events a year, world tour events. So wow. crazy. They all counted, right? They didn't have the drops. So you couldn't like have a couple bad results and not worry yeah, about them. Top eight or no? no right? Nothing. No, it was you counted every event, <laughs> and um, and most of them were in shocking places. You know, like Huntington was one of the best ones, and you know Huntington's a fun, decent way, but it's not like high class. Like, well, you got the Dream Tour, the Dream Tour yeah. was Tavi, yeah. right? You went to Chopu, you had J Bay, yeah. you had like I mean every spot they picked in the yeah. planet was like one of the best ways in the world. Yeah. So it, it was that yeah. was tougher as well. So it was all about pleasing the sponsors and getting people in front, which are typically at like beach breaks with like, yeah. So one of them was people. like Bondi Beach, right? Like you you can get a huge crowd on the beach there, yeah. but the waves are pretty pretty bad most of the time, right? Yeah. All these spots had waves sometimes; they just didn't have waves consistently good. <laughs> so yeah, so you had like Newcastle, you had 
Bandai, you had um, a couple events in Japan that were at these crazy, just horrible places. Um, And we did that all around the world. You know, every country was like, I mean, we used to go to the UK. We had events in Newquay, England. And Newquay was shocking. It was a beautiful place. I'd love to visit it, yeah. and I didn't want to surf a world hey, tour event I've there. I've never seen a 16-foot tide. What is that like? Uh, <laughs> you don't paddle out when the tide's going out, and you yeah. have to paddle in the whole time on the incoming tide. It's you know it's bad wild. when they can have the judges in the tower at high tide, and the judges literally have to walk out like 200 yards on the sand and stand at dead low tide to be able to see. Yeah, they have different scaffolding setups. Like, yeah. Well, pretty pretty yeah. wild, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even the lifeguards would, you know, because these are kind of like a Salt Creek Bay mostly, because yep. it's like headland, you know, headlands, by headlands. Yep. Yep. and they put a lifeguard uh, stand on the back of a truck, right? And then they put out some cones, and they would literally let, yell at the people like, "We can't <laughs> save you all if you're not inside the flag <laughs> or the post or whatever. We're not saving you, right. you know." And then they would have to move the truck. I mean, it was talking. You're talking a couple hundred yards, yeah. quarter mile maybe at at sometimes. I'm like, it's. I remember the going. Shift. The title shifts were so freaking crazy. I was huge. Like, yeah. and the, but the beach going community there is insane. I remember going down to the event, and I don't remember what time of year it was, but it was pretty cold. Like even summertime's kind of chilly there sometimes, cold. right? Yeah. So we were in suits, and you know, sky's gray a lot, and a lot of wind and stuff like that. And I remember going down to the beach, and it was like a weekend day, and they would rent these little wind blockers and basically it's a piece of material with about four or five sticks with little like loops through it so you could stick the um, stick in the sand and then the material would be like a windbreak <laughs> and you'd rent them at the local little concession stand on the beach and so up you'd look up and down the beach and there would be like hundreds of these little walls yeah, out of this material yeah Rocking. yeah you yeah because it would just take <laughs> off and fly and kill somebody right so they had these little things that they'd stick in the sand and they'd lay behind them on the other side of the wind in their bikinis or you know board shorts or whatever they were doing and it was just like and we're serving a pro contest amongst all this and the tide's going out 40 feet at a time it's yeah just classic scenario but But those are the places where we had world tour events was to answer the question yeah which is shitty ways really fun environment (laughs) you know like you know yeah yeah you had a great time you just didn't get good waves yeah and they picked the months that you would not get a swelling no of course you you run it when it's Typically, uh, yeah. like tour season tour versus season. when, when yep. the waves are really good. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they wanted Hanson Huntington in the winter. Well, the Caton, you know, but like, yeah. that didn't last. No, but he's right. They did it for for spectatorship, yeah. right? And then, ironically, when they finally figured it out and got it better, they went so far the other way, right? They went G-Land. They went, this is like more or less made for TV yeah. or made for internet or whatever, right? Yeah. So then they didn't care about having anybody on the beach, yeah. but they were surfing G-Land. And I was like, oh my God, I was like one decade too early. <laughs> So, so what were your yeah. what were your first surf trips as you know a young surfer? Well, my very first trip I ever oh well prior to tour. like yeah prior to tour or or even going on trips as such like a surfer that was trying to go get photos or you know whatever that kind of thing. Surf trips were with dad and, and family. We would do summer vacations. We'd always go to Mexico. We'd just drive down and go to surf this place in Mexico, and it was maybe. Two hours, I'm trying to think of the name of this place. Um, I don't recall the name of it, but it was about maybe an hour or two south of Ensenada. You'd get off the main road there and take a dirt road out to the beach. And we found, Aubrey my Hose. dad found a spot down there. It wasn't Aubrey Hose. No, somewhere. That- yeah, it was a random, it wasn't a kind of a famous place that mm-hmm. people knew. But ironically, Dewey Weber, we ran into down there one year. And my dad kind of knew it was 
before my time. Like Dewey was older than me, and yeah. I wasn't a part of my scene. But my dad knew of him, and and he ended up camping right next to us one year. So it was a spot that some people knew about. But it, yeah, like we yeah. would go there, and we would have like us and maybe one or two other people, and it was just yeah. like a beach break fun yeah. spot. Nothing crazy, but there was those trips, were those were surf trips. Yeah. yeah, there was trips down there where. People are like, I'll tell you where to go, but you can't tell anybody. Right. And the directions were yeah. eight kilometers, you're going to hit a, a, a V. Right. Go right. Right. Go right. Four kilometers, yeah. you're going to see a, a cactus with like, you know. <laughs> right. And that, that, those were the directions back then. Yeah. And you're like. Exactly, yeah. And you're like, fuck, I hope we're making it. You there. couldn't like, pull it up on maps. No. <laughs> yeah. But there were some spots that we go surf in. Yeah. In, you know, we weren't. Yeah, you just go score. You yeah, know, uncrowded, but so random. Yeah, and we we did. We got fun waves down there. I I had one one incident down there one time. I um, again back single fin days, right? I had a little whatever six two rounded pin single fin, and the thing I fell off on a wave or something. The thing hit me in the foot, like in the ankle, like right at the base between my ankle and my foot, and the fin hit me, and it went in, and then when the board moved, it snapped off the tip of the fin in my foot. Ooh. Oh. Like Gosh. a fiberglass fin, which is yeah, I can, super I can, strong. I can't believe it happened actually, yeah. like because it, it didn't. I mean, not that it didn't hurt, but it didn't hurt that bad, but right? It's not like a splinter because it's really right. Yeah. But I had a cut about that big, you know, maybe an inch, inch and a half long. But this fin was stuck in it, you know. And obviously, I need stitches or whatever. So we're down on the beach in Mexico somewhere. So what do we do? My parents had to like unhitch the car from the trailer <laughs> and like. Because we had a we had a we had a station wagon with a freaking trailer we pulled behind it. it was our camping gear yeah. right and uh, and so they drove me up to a hospital in Ensenada and I was terrified. So I'm thinking we're in Ensenada like it's yeah. I mean the hospital is like <laughs> there's mud on the outside of the walls and I mean, yeah. it's like it's like a little hut you know yeah and so we we go in and they're like yeah okay we can help you out and so we fill out some forms whatever wait a few minutes they take us in this doctor does an insane job on my foot, like gets the thing out, like there's no pain, they stitch me up, it's all good, they give me a prescription for an antibiotic or whatever, and we're thinking like, I don't know how much it's gonna cost, like we're... 25 bucks. We're, yeah, yeah, like we're Americans, bucks. and like they're gonna say, think this, rip these guys off or whatever. And so my parents, they grabbed a bunch of money, we borrowed money from like the neighbors that were camping next to us, yeah. just because we didn't need cash. And um, I think it was, you said what, 25 bucks? I think it was 32 or... <laughs> 18 or something, yeah. it was something stupid. So we like paid, we went okay, and we were out of there, and it was fine. So, yeah, some of the little and the most expensive part was that probably the antibiotics, yeah, versus like, yeah, that the, the doctor. The most expensive part was the gas driving to the hospital, yeah, well, that too, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not the yeah. it's not the doctor's, you know, like time, it's right something that they have to import or, or right. get, you know, yeah. So but those were fun trips. Like those were like the things you remember, and like you know, you'd be down, you'd surf, and you come in, and you'd you know, like smack your sister upside the head and have her chase you around the beach for a while. Like, you know, stuff like that. It was yeah. just funny, stupid I, things. So I, I I know from knowing you and and your history, but like I was reading at like sixteen was like you, you did a trip to Hawaii and like yeah, it was like yeah, real. That was my you, first real trip. That, did yeah. you go surf Hawaii prior to this? Nope, I'd never been to Hawaii. I went with the national team. So because my dad started me so young, I got exposed to surf and bigger surf as a pretty young kid. And not that I didn't take my beatings, but just around... You know, town. Yeah, I didn't... I wasn't... wasn't, California gets right. Yeah, but I wasn't... Like, as a little kid, right? I'm talking about, like, you know, again, when I was, like, eight, nine years old or whatever. Like, there were days where I was fine going out because starting at five or six... 
you know, you'd, you'd get a four or five foot wave on the head and you'd realize it was okay. You're not going to die. Yeah. Right. And then, so as you get a little bit older, you, that just ramps up. Yeah. So, you know, you'd get a big North swell in the winter or whatever. South side bowl would be breaking eight, 10 foot on the face, whatever. I'd be out there at an age where most guys my age wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, and so I had a bit of a comfort level with it to a degree. Yeah. So when I went to Hawaii, I, I felt pretty confident that I was going to be okay. It's, it's Hawaii and it's different, right? Yeah. It, big there is way different than big here. Yeah. Um, but, and, and at the time I hadn't surfed like massive waves here. I hadn't, I hadn't taken a seven, six to blacks or anything like yeah. that. So this was the first real deal getting guns made and, yeah. you know, going for it. And you're one right, of the you, coolest parts about it. Bud or anybody like give you a pep talk or, or the only thing we had is like, by this time I was on the national team. And so we had Ian and PT and, th- and those guys were our go-tos, right? They told and, you, big leashes, big boards. Yeah. You're palling out. Yeah. And they were, they were good advocates for actually, if you're not sure, choose the bigger, right? If you're not sure to ride a seven Oh or a seven six, ride the seven six. And that's what we did. And so, yeah. And then, you're when going you're, out. Well, and then when you're, you're choosing something, oh, for sure. Yeah. You're going, you're, you're, you're paddling out either way. Yeah. Right. So, but the coolest part about it was, and this happened, you know, leading up to the trip and while we were there, I ended up staying in, um, the condominium. We stayed at Kuyathi Macondo's, the whole team. Um, and I ended up staying, I think my first trip I stayed with Ian. So the whole time you're getting feedback, you're getting knowledge, you're getting coached. You're, he's telling you where to line up at sunset. He's telling you what not to do at pipe for, you know, things like that. Yeah. So that was really cool. And by the end of that trip, not the end, but somewhere toward the middle or end of that trip, it got really big and YMA broke. And they were like, who, you know, who wants to go? Who wants to go? And like a couple of us raised our hands. I can't remember exactly who, but I, I know I raised my hand. I was tentatively raising my hand. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it, but I was like, it's got, a huge, it it's got a huge channel. If it's that big, I'll sit on the side and watch guys, right? How bad could it be? So PT loaned me a board. I think it was a 7-7 Rusty, I think. I can't remember who made it, but it was a big board, biggest board I'd ever ridden. And we paddled out at, at Wyoming, and I caught like three or four waves. Randy Rarick was out there, which was rad, and a, a bunch of other heavy dudes. But Randy saw me get, I think, my first wave or, or one of my best waves. And so I had a good trip. I didn't die. It was all great. And yeah. I surfed YMA on my first trip there at, as, at 16, which yeah. not too many guys did. It's like and proper. Yeah, it was like, proper YMA. Right. It wasn't like pinballs or anything. It was proper out on the boil. It wasn't the biggest YMA I'd ever been. No, it wasn't like, closing out or anything, but it was legitimate. 15, foot? Yeah, legit It's at least YMA. 15. It needs to be 15, 18 to break up. Yeah. You know, like out yeah. There. So it was proper Wyoming. The, the crew was out that well, surfs Wyoming. Mark like, Fu, you know. Did you get your fucking I didn't get, bell rung? I didn't, not that time. I, I did later, which I'll tell you that's right yeah. in a minute. But, um, but yeah, that trip that, and that surf was fine. Three, four waves. You got really scale. lucky. Got yep. in. Because yep. 16 years old and like, when you're 16 and you have confidence, you're confident. You're, in, you're invincible. Yeah. yeah, you're invincible. Yeah, you think you are. <laughs> you at least that's, that's, right. that's up here until you yeah. like it. Yeah. Knowing yeah. what we know after you get there and you feel the ground shake and you hear people talking and you see the sets break and it's the biggest waves you've ever seen in your life yeah. prior to that. Yeah. yeah. Like, Holy shit. And there's yeah. probably not too many 16-year-olds out there. They're all men. Right? Well, and I, and I got to say, having, again, I'll go back to PT and Ian. Like, those guys were so good at making us feel comfortable. Yeah. And, and not not like they didn't instill it's some like level of fear in us. Yeah. But, like, confidence. they were like, look, here's how to avoid the really bad shit. 
right? Like just don't, there's certain things you shouldn't do and, and there's places you should line up and places you shouldn't. So just do your best to keep yeah. that in mind. And so those little tips in that made a big difference. Yeah. You're still going to get, I mean, you're surfing sunset. Sooner or later, you're going to get caught by a West Peak. Yeah. You will. Yeah. But what they did with us was they're like, let's sit in here and let one get us. And you're like, huh? You want to? We want to do this on purpose? Yeah. But we did when it was not huge because yeah. you got to feel, oh, okay, this is what happens. You know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to take a freaking trip. It's going to take me 15 minutes, but I'm going to go all the way into the boil and I'm going to paddle my ass all the way back out is what's going to happen. Yeah. Or if I snap a leash, I'm going to have to swim and I'm probably going to realize, wait a minute, don't swim to the beach, swim to the channel because that's where your board's going to end up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like they taught us all that. Yeah. And so we had a, I had a pretty good comfort level with certain things but again i've gotten my bell rung there more than once i i accepted death at one point at ymea years later because i i didn't do the right thing and yeah. i did blow it and i got caught and and i almost died and i at one point i was like i had to accept because i thought i was gonna die so i mentally accepted it i was like this is how it ends so <laughs> it was, this is it crazy yeah so crazy. that was yeah. a billabong pro event in hawaii was it billabong no or? that was just a um just a day there was an event going on there the sunset event was on so i don't know if billabong had sponsored it but it was the sunset um event that was a world tour event at the time i had lost out in oh, early okay. rounds but i was rooming with joey baran and joey is a charger obviously right and, um, and he's like, I don't know if you know Joey very well, but he's like antsy, right? He's just always got to be going, doing something. Ah, so like, and he's like, quick, like, let's go, let's go. So we get up in the morning, throw a couple boards on, go down. We get to sunset and water is washing over the road. <laughs> so they, they're like, hey, the contest is called. It's too big. Like at sunset, there was waves between... Camis and, and yeah, it was just white water the whole way. So, and again, rolling over the road. <laughs> so, first thing Joey does is go, let's go check the bay, right? So we drive up to the bay and we get there, and there's literally three guys in the water. This is pretty. It's like early. It's the sun's up, but just barely. And so we look out. And there's like two or three guys out there, and we see a set come through, and it's. I'm not joking. I look like Rincon. It was beautiful. Perfect. It right. was. It was proper Waimea, but, but it was perfect. just. It was glassy, there was no, not much wind, and it was just beautiful. All blue and sunny and... Wax it up, let's go. So Joey's like grabbing, like, let's go, you know? And I'm, and I'm like trying to look at it like, dude, that's why I'm at. Like, I haven't done this in a couple of years, you know? And, and I, the biggest board I had with me, I think, was a 710. And that's what we threw on the, on the car. So, like, that's not really a YMA board. It's a yeah. good-sized board, but it's not YMA board. And, and it wasn't huge yet. Little did I know, and this goes into the story, it was getting way bigger. But at the time when we looked at it, it looked yeah. just playful and fun and just killer. And I'm like, yet. this is the best way for me to go out and get a bunch of good ways of YMA and get, get a better feel Wait, for it. There's no surf line where you're just checking it? It's <laughs> no. been yeah. like four hours? No, no, it's like you're out there. There might have been a wave track phone number we could have called, but we didn't. Yeah, no. you know, Joey was amping and trying to get out as fast as he could. And we, you know, at that time, you could park in that little spot up against the cliff on the side of the road right there. It was like two spots. So we parked there <laughs> and we grabbed our boards. We ran across the street down the rocks and we jumped in and paddled out, you know? And so I'm like, I don't want to paddle, I don't want to paddle out alone. So I better go with him. He knows what he's doing, right? So we paddle out. Good news, waves are insane. I get a bunch of good waves. Board's a little small, but it's working. I'm, I'm cheating around a little bit here and there. Then all of a sudden, halfway through an hour, two hours into the session or whatever, some bigger sets start rolling through. And at one point, 
we paddled over a set that I looked like it was pretty steep when I went over it and I was over toward the channel and like way outside. And so I kind of looked back at this thing just to check what it was doing. And I saw it like basically close out in the channel a little bit, not full on, but like it, it, it whitewatered through the channel. And I was like, oh shit, it's kind of getting big out here, you know? So then Are I- you- next to Joey the whole time or you we're just out like, in the lineup with the yeah, yeah, by then there was more crew a bunch of other guys came out so now there's probably 25 30 guys in the water something like that and you so get to wave yet? yeah I had caught a bunch Come of waves on. I had but it just hands down the best session like every set was bigger yeah I just got bigger and bigger so oh. it was like okay well I can handle this up to a point with yeah. my board and with my skill and my ability to hold my breath all that <laughs> so I had caught a bunch of really good waves. I had a great time. So I started thinking, hey, I'm going to probably try to get one out of here because it's getting pretty damn big and I don't want to be surfing clothes out YMA. I'm not yeah. quite equipped for that. So, um, and so I started not, like, there's no breathing techniques or anything like that, right? You're not training big wave surfing. No, uh, but I was you're... training like, again, going back to NSSA days and Peter and Ian, like they had us doing stuff all the time. And I even went, like I remember I used to go down to Golden West College and sign up for a swim class and I would just swim in the pool just to just to get my breath and yeah. and so some of the things they would do like one of your tests in the class was you'd have to swim a mile consistently like you have to keep swimming until you got a mile in yeah. which is pretty long when you're swimming right yeah so um so i did stuff like that but i wasn't doing like the things that guys do like yeah. you saw guys where they're you know on the bottom they're holding a rock and they're running yeah. i didn't do that before before, that. That. before yeah. all that yeah. yeah so we were just relying on our own abilities and you know there weren't flotation vests there weren't jet skis yet well technically there were jet skis but they weren't using them for water safety right, right? Yeah. there was herbie was around doing his thing but that was about it so and actually he was out there this day um so i eventually get caught inside i i'm, I'm trying to sit inside and catch a little smaller one and go in so what happens when you do that you miss a small wave and then you get caught inside by a set so exactly what happened i miss a small wave i turn around there's a massive set coming the whole crew is paddling like this and so I'm paddling as hard as I can behind him. I make it over the first one. And as the little mist clears from the slight offshore that was blowing, um, I see the next one and it's just black. And by this point, we're out. Like if this is the lineup where you sit, we were like over here by now. Like we were way far. We were 200 yards from where you're normally supposed to be sitting trying to get past this set. Like we were just, we were so far out. And so again, I get over the first one, the second one I see, and as it clears, I just go, okay, well, just keep paddling, just keep paddling. Maybe this thing won't break. You're almost, you're pretty much in the middle of the channel at this point. So I just go ahead and I keep, it doesn't break, doesn't break. I keep paddling, paddling. So I just paddle up the face of this thing. And it's getting steeper and steeper, but I'm still thinking, okay, just, just hang with it, just go, you know. So I get to the top and I basically, I clear it. I flop over the back, but it starts to break. And I'm like this Suck and I back. get sucked back over. On how big of a wave? Whatever it takes to close out YMA Bay. I don't know what that number is. Yeah. 25 feet. I'm not sure. Ah! So. <laughs> were, were you, was there any other surfers next to you? Not right next to me. Um, other guys did get caught inside by that set. One of the right. Endersby's, Enderby, Endersby, got caught. Um, I can't remember which. It wasn't Eric. It was... Um, there's like, like they three, didn't get three brothers. They got more of like... Somebody it, else. One of those guys. Yeah, they didn't get sucked over like I did, but they yeah. got caught. Right. There was two or three of us that got caught. Um, so I took, I mean, I remember the feeling was when I went over the falls like that backwards, I remember just like looking back, looking over, just dropping down an elevator shaft. And I went, I remember thinking, okay, this is about when I should hit water. And it's like, I didn't, it's like I, like the lip hit and like spread the water and made it all airy. So I, when I fell, like, I feel like I went 
10 or 12 feet below water Please. level before I really hit water. It's kind of weird. And so I get just annihilated. It's like someone handed me a, a hand grenade. It just you're holding on to the board. I was holding on to the board, just going yeah. over the falls. Like, what am I else am I going to do? And when you get to the bottom into the water, it just, just explodes. It explodes, yeah. And the board gets yanked out of your hand. Yanked straight out of my hand. Didn't even a have seven, a seven? Seven, ten. Leash break? No. Okay. Only reason I'm sitting here talking to you right now, because I'm pretty sure if my leash had broke, I don't. It's hard to say you can't live, you can't go down both paths. Right. But I don't think I would have survived because yeah. after that wave, I came up and there was another one about where your wall is right there. So yeah. I got that one straight on the head. One breath. Yeah, I had one or two breaths, just enough to to survive it, right? So and that one wasn't quite as bad because it had already broke and it was kind of rolling, right? But it was a you know, it's a closeout wave at YMA, yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, it's a, yeah. So, but I come up from that one and that's all I got hit by was those two. So at that point, there was a little bit of a lull. I get on my board and I'm, I'm kind of freaking now, right? Because I'm like, okay, I don't want to say I fully panicked, but I started to panic a little bit. I started yeah. getting a little like, <gasps> so I get on my board and I think, okay, just paddle in and go to the corner. Don't go out in the middle of the channel where you get sucked out to the left, right? So yeah. go to the corners, go to the corner. Even you're going to hit by waves, but go to the corner. So I was doing that, and as I'm, di- as I'm paddling in, I see Herbie on his jet ski. And there's footage of him riding waves that day. If, if, if yeah. you look it up, you'll I, see, I you'll see how, yeah. exactly how big it was. Yeah, he, he walked. So he's coming at me, and I'm like, oh my God, this is my, he's gonna save me. <laughs> so I wave at him, I'm like, and so he sees me, and he, he turns and starts heading my way, and he's coming right at me, and at the last minute, I see him kind of look up, and then he looks back at me, and then he just, pins it and goes right past me and I'm like what I was freaking and then I go there's a set coming (laughs) he's he's trying to not get caught by a set right so he takes off so sure enough within like 30 seconds or a minute this set rolls through and I took probably another 10 or 12 waves on the head getting pushed all the way in and by this point I was kind of in the middle of the bay but it was closing out so everything was still pushing you in yeah and so with your board or like yep, still had my board yeah. and at one point uh, I got held under for so long and I'm not I'm not trying to duck it right I'm just yeah, getting yeah, I'm just getting just trying to survive yeah I'm just bailing to try and survive and I there was one wave where I was almost back to the surface I was literally like probably a foot I was in, anticipating a breath and I, I had a second wave roll over me before I got a breath so I had a two wave hold down and that one when it put me down I was down so deep like my ears popped, all kinds of stuff was happening. I didn't hit bottom, but I was just like, I'm so deep right now. And at that point, I that's when I basically kind of give up. But yeah, well, you know how people you say life, that. your life lasts before your eyes. I literally thought about a dog I had when I was like seven or eight years old. His name is Rusty. I remembered a kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Anderson, that I had in school. And then I went through a really weird thing where I got really angry at myself for blowing it. Because I thought about my parents and I yeah. thought... I'm letting everybody down. Oh, all these like, things. Yeah. I just let my parents down. Yeah. This is how they're going to be so sad right now yeah. that their son just killed himself. So, but I was going... Th- all this was going through my mind. It's all flashes. Slow-mo, but yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is all going down in probably 10 seconds, but it's it feels like slow-mo in my mind. And I'm just being... And I'm just down. I'm not even in turbulence at this point. I'm just underwater, just floating around, just thinking. Yeah. And meanwhile, I guess I'm, I'm probably getting pulled back to the surface, but I'm not aware of that. Yeah. Right? So... So I go through this. No. Yeah. So I go through this process in my head where I literally make my peace with dying. 
I'm like, I just have to accept this because I, I can't get out of this. This is I'm I'm like 20 minutes into this whole debacle. Yeah. Right. This wasn't like a five minute thing. 20 minutes is a. This was like a 20 time. 25 minute yeah. program to get me from where I was to the beach. Yeah. So anyway, I accept all that, but miraculously, I floated back to the surface. I remember thinking like, oh, I think I'm there. And I turned my head, got a little breath, and then I thought, okay, so. And there was a little bit of a lull. That was like the last wave of the set. So I had a minute to get some breath and get back. And so, and I, I couldn't see, like, I could see, but things were different colors. Like the sand was orange. It wasn't like tan. Yeah. The sky was like this purpley weird color. It wasn't yeah. like blue. It was just weird. And um, <laughs> so I get on my board and I think to myself, okay, just don't, you just can't get held down again. So I slide way back on the board and I wrap this hand around that rail and this hand around this rail. And I'm almost at the fins. Like, I'm way back on the board. Because okay. I'm thinking, I just got to hold on, right? So yeah. I wanted to get a good enough grip on the thing. So before I went back to came, where it was skinny. You know? Before a set came or another wave came? Yeah, before another wave came. Because I thought, well, again, I, just, I need to stay up. I can't get held down. You need to get washed in. So I want to get washed in, right? Yeah. So, so I did that and let the white water hit me. And the good news was when it hit me, it blew me, like, forward about 20 feet or something. And I bounced around a little bit, but then I wadded and, and lost my board and everything, but I didn't get pushed real deep. Yeah, yeah. So I came up from that one fairly unscathed and it didn't take that long. And you got pushed in. And I got pushed in. And so I go, yeah, I'm going to do that again. So I grabbed my board again and I turned around and I did the same thing. And I, that time I held on for a while and I was like just belly whomping in. Yeah. And somewhere in there I wadded up and ate it. But when I fell, I was Touching kicking around trying to get and I touched sand. Yeah. And I'm like, I made it. I'm in the yeah. shore break. And so then I got pushed up and I literally was able to walk up about 10 feet and I collapsed. And then Ken Bradshaw ran down off the sand and drug me up over the berm and sat with me for a little while to make sure I was okay. So I was thinking of Billabong <laughs> yeah. contest, but it was in that Billabong movie, right? It was like, wasn't it? I, th- I, I could swear. It wasn't in a contest, but no, was, but they yeah. like documented like you know guys that, that caught in yeah. and they like with Farney in yeah. it. Yeah, huh. yeah. I think you gotta find that one. I think there was something they did a little thing on it in one of the magazines. And I'm not sure. I don't know. Video I, I just remember. Yeah. I just remember yeah. like the whole like everything that happened. You yeah, know, like, close out YMA and Farney almost drowned and. Well, and you know, one of my best friends is Ryan Keenan, right? He's yeah. the best man of my wedding. We're still great friends. And, and he, he told me he was up on the road on the other side of the bay watching it all happen. He knew it was me and it was like, we weren't like as tight then as we are now, yeah. but we were good friends and, yeah, you yeah. know, and so he was watching the whole thing, not sure if I was gonna make it or yeah. what, you know, it was, it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. That'd be so weird to watch your friend like, and you can't wait, your board. and you can't do anything about yeah. it right you, yeah. what, are you, what, what are you gonna do just yeah. hang in there bro yeah and the <laughs> only thing back then other than like the possibility of maybe Herbie helping me was they would fly a helicopter in and drop a freaking cage yeah. down <laughs> that's how guys were saved back then yeah and so, and I was looking around. Is there one of those guys around here? Because I need one. <laughs> you know, that's right. They did. They did that's what they that. did. They yeah. would drop a freaking little cage with a net around yeah. it, and you'd climb in the thing, and they'd lift you out. You know. So in the Magnum PI like helicopter. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Full on Magnum PI. Yeah. yeah. Yellow and black one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, going back for your early sponsors, right? Yeah. You had a. I had a classic group. Yeah, you yeah, had like, yeah. amazing sponsors. <laughs> so I Did had you for instinct at one point. I didn't, but okay. my first clothing sponsor was, and people mispronounced it back then, and I think they just gave up and said that's okay. But it was Jimmy's. 
You wrote for Jimmy's? But people called it Jimmy Z. Yeah. But it was actually pronounced Jimmy's. Was the guy's name was Jim Ganser. He's yeah. the guy that founded it. Super yeah. brilliant guy. And uh, yeah, and they had just launched the company. Um, Vince. I didn't know you wrote for Jimmy's. What was Vince? Vince's last name? Klein. Vince Klein. Yeah. Vince Klein was was like their main writer yeah. out of Hawaii. And Vince and I knew each other, and we were good buddies, and that was cool because he's a great guy. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, so they brought me on board, and that was my first clothing sponsor. I had as pro. Or I had like, as a pro. Yep. Okay. So they were the first people that like paid me to ride for them, that kind of thing. And then um, O'Neill was my wetsuit sponsor. Carl was making my boards. And somewhere in there, I'm not sure if it was the first year or, or soon after, but PT hooked me up, I think through his job at surfing. By this point, he was working at Surfing Magazine, I think, um, and all his advertisers and that. He had a connection with a Mexican food company called Piñata. Literally, you'd go, in, you'd go into like the grocery store and you'd get like frozen burritos or tortilla Picante chips. Piñata or Piñata? Nope, Piñata. Okay. Yep. It was a, it was a red logo and, um, called Piñata and, and they made salsas and, you know, frozen uh, Mexican food and stuff like that. And he organized them to support me. So I got a little check coming from them. Sick. And then separately, which I think came from a guy who ended up being my manager... Um, which was awesome. Um, he was a guy that knew a bunch of people up at O'Neill. He lived in the Santa Cruz area. And this is kind of funny. I was writing for O'Neill and the O'Neill guys said, you should have this guy be your manager. Like they were like, he can, he can even make us pay you more money. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, that's really nice of you to do. So I hooked up with this guy. His name was Hector Lazardi, super good guy. And uh, he was a surfer, but not, not a great surfer, but loved it. And, yeah. uh, but he was from the music industry. So he was a tour manager for bands like, I mean, he worked for Michael Jackson. He worked for ZZ Top. He worked wow. for like just the biggest bands. Grateful Dead was one of his bands that he worked for. Crazy. So this guy was really cool. And it was cool for me because he opened me up to all this other stuff yeah. I got to go do with him, right? We got to go see shows all the time and wow. all that. Honestly, I felt like, I, I didn't remember that you rode for Jimmy's, but I remembered that you had the best ads. Did you think that too? They, you know, I, I liked the ads that your people ads did with me. Way, like, you, you look like a model. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, there's a whole side of that too. There's a whole side of that that's got good and bad stories to it as well. But, um, but real quick, back to him. The reason I brought up Hector is because the music connection, yeah. he got me hooked up with a company that, you remember Avalon Attractions? Yeah. So that was a concert-based promoter, promoter yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, a couple of guys from Avalon spun off and started their own business called Pacific Concerts. Okay. And Hector got me sponsored by Pacific Concerts, yeah. which is like I got a, a Mexican food company <laughs> and I got a concert promoter, you know, sponsoring a surf guy, which yeah. was just amazing. And You're so, one of the first dudes to do that probably yeah. too. And it wasn't, I mean, in all fairness, it wasn't me. It was the people around me that yeah. were trying to help me. Yeah. And they did and it was amazing and, and it got me started and then I was able to pick up other guys as we went along. I ended yeah. up being, me and Chris Roth ended up being the first two guys on O'Neill Apparel when they launched O'Neill yeah. Apparel. Uh, I remember how and so, yeah. those ads yeah. were, remember the Philo? Yeah, yeah. First in, last Well, time. that was all Aaron Chang who's you know, I mean, Aaron's, well, or, Aaron was the photographer for almost, that, yeah. almost everything made, I did. the concept come to life. Yeah. Almost everything I did with, especially with O'Neill was all Aaron hmm. and even some other brands they used him. And, and he's just a really talented artistic yeah. guy, right? He's great in the water, but he's also, he's got a whole nother eye for, 
for other types of photography and, I, yeah. and he's still doing great work. Yeah. And was there cool. money in the trials and like the contests or like were you making any or? You could make a little bit of money, um, usually not in the trials. You had to get into you the main, to main usually to make any event. money. And usually if you got a 17th, I remember probably the lowest check I ever got for a 17th was probably 250 bucks. Dang. Usually they were 350 to 500, but you never, I never got a check for two or three grand just for getting like a 17th or something, yeah. you know, you'd have yeah. to get a ninth or a fifth or something and then you'd make four or five grand or something. And then guys that were winning would win 10, yeah. 10, 12, something like that. It wasn't like 50 or nothing like that. No. Was, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just like, I mean, ch travel was a lot less expensive, but still you're talking for like sure. Yeah. Did you 20, have 25 events a year? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have different uh, board sponsors too, or you stuck it? I stuck with Carl for, I think it was my first two years. And then I started questioning it, right? And I, I wasn't doing as good as I thought I should. And you question everything, right? Is it, is it me? Am I not capable? Yeah. Is, it, is it my, my competitive um, skills that aren't good? Is it my equipment? And so I started looking at the equipment side and I think the first thing I did, and I don't know, I can't remember why it directed this way, but Gary Linden, I got really interested in, in Gary's boards. And so I had a conversation with him and I had a great conversation with Carl because I didn't want to be weird about how I did yeah. that or whatever. So Carl was just the nicest guy about it. He, was, yeah. he just wanted what was best for me and he didn't care either way, even though he yeah. had invested in me for years. Um, he just wanted what was best for me. So he for was, sure. he was really cool about it. So I got a, a, I think I got two boards from Gary. They worked okay. I tried a couple Merricks in there somewhere and it didn't go that well either. So I was still kind of tapping around a little bit and then somewhere in there, Rusty became the deal and yeah. those worked. It was, it was a no brainer. Yeah. Goofy, so, Aki, Farney, yeah. you know, like yeah. for a while there, it felt like there was a, a slew of kids and pros riding for Rusty yeah. in Huntington. Yeah, I yeah. think, I mean, he, he was... was riding Rusty's a lot. A, he was, yeah. yeah. A lot of people, in fact, Keenan's still got Rusty's in his garage. I was over at his house last night, and I, he's got guns from, I don't even know what year, but they're Rusty's, yeah. Wow. This is classic. But, um, yeah, there was something about what he was doing that was really good, and it was really um, kind of advancing the sport, right? It was advancing what you could do. And, and Aki was probably a prime example of that. And we all, I mean, who didn't like what Aki was doing, right? Yeah. So you had to kind of go, what, what's, what's going on with him? How come yeah. he's so much better than us? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we thought it could be boards, you know? Yeah. So I want Aki's model. Yeah. yeah. Can I surf like him? Yeah. Can I, surf like him? I, I have one. Yeah. Yeah. JS. Yeah. Pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So any, any mag like coverage that you're like, oh, I got this one shot. Like, you know, do you, do you have any highlights that, you know, I was pretty lucky with the coverage, especially yeah. because, like, technically, I probably got more coverage than guys ranked in my area, if you were to equate those two. Which went right? hand in hand back in the day. Like, yeah, a the lot higher of, a lot of it did. And, you yeah. know, the more kind of photos you would get. Yeah, a lot of that was connected. I mean, there were guys that were out of that loop a little bit. Chris B, Big B was yeah. one of those examples. He wasn't a great competitive guy, but he really got a lot of coverage and yeah. stuff like that. Um, he was tight with Flame. That helped. But... Um, so when I, the coverage I did get, I felt was um, really cool to get and it helped my whole program, right? Definitely. It helped sponsors, helped all that stuff. But what I was the most happy about was most of the coverage I got in mags was in big wave surfing and big wave relative to that time, right? Yeah. Not like yeah. Nazare now and Jaws, and, yeah. but it was like big Totos. It was 
Mavericks hadn't really hit yet, but it was like pipe. It was it was things like that. So a lot of the coverage that I got was Todos and pipe and places like that. So I was happy about it because I'm like, that's a photo. It's, huh? Yeah, it's a good. You know, I'd rather have me standing in a big barrel or something than you know. Oh, I did this really sick turn on a four foot wave or what? You know, not yeah. that that's not cool and good, and I, I want that too, but. If I had to pick one or the other, I, I would have picked that. And so yeah. for me, the majority of that exposure was that. And yeah. so it was, yeah, it was nice. And people still like, you know, comment on stuff like that, you know. So yeah. for me, it worked good. It was better than, like I said, you know, little Well, not everybody's shots. charging totos, you know, like a handful <laughs> of guys, you know. So your chances are, yeah. you know. I feel like, yeah. too, like you were more known for your photos than you are for competitive surfing. I probably was because right? at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you had the world amateur title that, but on a pro level, I did all right. I was, the, the thing about me, and I think you could probably maybe check this with some other guys, but I used to hear this from some of the guys on tour, Tom being one of them, right? And Martin and guys like that. I was the guy that was like, Farney, what the fuck? Make some haste, dude. How come you, you're very, you, fucking hard. you should be a top 10 guy and yeah. you're like 45th. Yeah. And, and I would hear that from them. So that, Again, I still live on that as like, okay, I can, I can, yeah. I can. I could have been a contender. Yeah. But like, it was like, okay, well, at least I'm stoked that these guys see that I have good ability. Yeah. They respect my surfing. And that's almost as important as doing good in the contest, For right? Sure. Like, I'd rather have those guys' respect than, yeah. than be someone who got good results but didn't have the respect yeah. of, the, of the fellow guys. And, and like I was saying, I, I vividly remember a lot of your ads, I don't know why, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Like there's a yeah. lot of Scott Farnsworth ads you're just like in yeah. airsprays and photos you're like, yeah. dude was photogenic, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, ironically that spun in, it did spin into some actual quote modeling, right? In the New York realm of modeling with guys like Bruce Weber, who's a famous photographer. Dude. Yeah. But he's the guy that got Buzzy into his whole deal. Yeah. Right. Definitely. So Buzzy did all that um, Ralph Lauren stuff. Yeah. I got hooked up with Bruce Weber one day. I was literally sitting at home watching TV on the couch one day in between events. You know, I was home. And my phone rings and I pick it up and it's this guy Bruce Weber. And he literally introduces himself to me, tells me what he does. And I'm like, I didn't know who he was at the time. I didn't know. So crazy. I didn't know. Networking back then. That was yeah. Buzzy's guy and all that stuff. You know, yeah, you didn't have social media and all yeah. that shit. So like. So he tells me what he wants to do. And I'm like, well, that sounds fun. Like, okay. So I make a few other calls and find out about this guy. And the next thing you know, I get booked on a photo shoot in Mendocino, California with Buzzy for a Ralph Lauren ad campaign thing. And it was like all this sort of cowboyish, like farmland looking yeah. gear, you know, and we were out Put on this. Put some chaps on you and you're, you're a freaking cowboy. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and then that spun into a bit of exposure. And so then I got a few other little jobs. I ended up signing up with an actual agency. So they got me jobs. And and I worked like very sporadically. Not, I didn't do a lot of this stuff, yeah. but it was super fun. And it yeah. was, you get good money. And one time I got to make a commercial for Bullfrog Sunscreen when they first came out. And um, they flew me to Hawaii. Put the me worst up. sunscreen on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, it, did, guys. it didn't work, but it was, yeah. but it was awesome at the Bring time. your eyes all the time. Yeah. But they flew me to Hawaii. I spent a week, week and a half or something filming a freaking bullfrog commercial. Yeah. And I got, I got to be a part of Screen Actors Guild, got their insurance, like all from this one job. You yeah. know? So it was, it was cool. Did you pursue it or no? I did. I pursued it, you know, 
caution, like uh, what do you say, passively, yeah. right? I, I, I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't want to do it, yeah. but I didn't want to like dedicate my life to like changing from being a pro surfer to that. It was yeah. just like, hey, if I can get jobs on the you side. You made a good chunk of change. Yeah, if, I, if this will help support what I want to do, yeah. then cool, I'll do it, yeah. you know? But I didn't want to, I mean, I wasn't that guy anyway. I was yeah. way too short. I was, you know, I was sort of blondish. I mean, at that time, a model was like tall, dark, and handsome, yeah. right? And so, and I wasn't that. <laughs> so I got what I got, and it was yeah. killer. And, and It's funny yeah. how, you know, the, the fashion world has pulled a lot of surfers yeah. you know, into its yeah. mix. But like Buzzy, holy shit. Well, Bruce's whole deal was he had a vision in his mind that he just loved this look. And it was, I think he referred to it as a, a 50s California surf look. Which, if you go back to like, I'm trying to think of a person back then, like Jan and Dean style, and yeah, yeah. like short hair but kind of bleach blonde, yeah. tan face, kind of natural, yeah. you know, in good shape because yeah. you're surfing all the time. You're yeah. lean. You got you got shoulders. You got you know you're you're ripped. built right. You're yeah. ripped with, with and a different rip than being a, like a gym dude. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, More you weren't all natural, puffed out like yeah, like athletic looking. But, yeah, but also like I think once Bruce found like that look that formula the guys were more often easier to work with because they weren't trained they were kind of naive kind of like not out of the you know didn't really know how to like where you're you know most models go to training and they do all this yeah and they have the catwalk yeah well and they also get pretty full of themselves right because it's like you're 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 wanted because of your look right so you think you must think to yourself well i must be i must be rad this guy serves this guy serves why man hey go stand on the edge of that waterfall like 100 feet up and just act natural okay it's right so i i loved it and and buzzy was all over that one shooting but he was the same way like you know buzzy he did way more work made way more money sean was even involved with with bruce weber yeah um so it was just this little thing that kind of happened through surfing and yeah and it was there's a couple fun. people buzzy ted robinson ted ted, ted got was involved? the funniest story though, oh my gosh yeah. it's walked, like he walked away you know you saw the opportunity of making extra cash right, right right where ted was like i missed a contest i'm never doing it again i'm done you yeah. know you're like yeah. what yeah what, what do well, you mean yeah well buzzy told them like hey i can't do that i'm in a contest and they pushed it back a week yeah because he was like because he's, he's buzzy like, yeah like no i'm not gonna do that you know? well he he jedi mind tricked those guys sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like he's like you want me on my time but we right. talked to you right. know whether yeah. it's modeling so i didn't have that kind of yank no. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know those two examples are great but yeah. then you yeah. know we talked to and on another kind of business opportunity was gt he was a pro snowboarder right and the commentator didn't show up and you know right. here he is he's a loud mouth like in a good way in a good he, way yeah he knows all the technology yep. you know the tech talk and then yeah. they're like hey would you mind filling in for this position right and talk and you can still do the contest whatever and he's like well how much you get paid he's like wait wait <laughs> I I make more than the guy winning the event <laughs> right and that's another example of another yeah. side deal that yeah. was like and, and ted's like i'm gonna go certain you don't know how you're gonna fly to south africa and you can right. lose first heat first round yeah. or you can guarantee make a bunch of money yeah. right you think making a bunch of money is you take call. Two <laughs> weeks, yeah you take yeah. a week out of each month or even like two weeks out of Six months, yeah, yeah, to model, yeah, you're yeah. making the rest of the year, yeah, you could you know? tap you're yourself like, out and have the, yeah, live like a king, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, but good for you. I mean, that's no, it I mean, was such cool. a, yeah. an amazing opportunity. Yeah. One to you know make extra money, but two to be involved in a whole other industry. Yeah, did yeah, you, it was. Did cool. you go to college? I did. I, I, I didn't graduate. I went to Long Beach. Um, I won the World Amateur event after my first year, and so I stayed in school that second year. And was kind of contemplating, like, can I make this happen? Can I get on tour and all that? So once I figured out that I could, I went ahead and dropped out and went on tour for those years. And then when I was finished touring, which I kind of, you know, I sort of stepped off tour because I just wasn't meeting my own expectations, you know? And I just, I thought, you know, these are like these really critical years of your life. And while I still want to kind of do this and I'd like to get into this top rank and all that stuff. And it was right about the time they were changing down to like the, um, they had the back what it was called back 14 or back 16 or whatever yeah. it was called so you had your top seeds and you had the second round and then then below that you had trialists but those trialists were still seated and so they, they had this good system so i thought like, maybe i should hang in here because then i can climb back up but it was also at that point where i was like you know the sponsorship was still there i could have probably put that together and kept going but i just thought i'm at this critical place where i either need to like do good here or i need to like get on with my normal life you know yeah. and and i didn't want to just fade off into like working at freaking jack-in-the-box or whatever right so quit the tour and then signed up to go back to school and was doing my first semester i think and then i got a call from dan McInerney, who i think most people know in the industry was was a quicksilver rep down in san diego was one of the founders of olakai sandals mm. he partnered up with a couple guys from nike and they started olakai and dan's been doing great ever since but he was a rep in san diego for quicksilver at the time who needed a sub rep and I got a call from him, and he basically hired me over the phone. <laughs> and I was like... You weren't friends or anything? No, I didn't like, even know. I, mean, I was recommended to him by some other people. I think, actually, it might have been Pat Cairns that knew him and recommended me as a possible candidate or whatever. And then he hmm. called me, and we had this chat on the phone. And like I said, he, he hired me over the phone. And I was like... That's kind of a I'm in. So, so I'm, here I am in school, and I'm like... Okay, but I'm kind of going. My goal was to. I wanted to work in the industry, right? Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you want? Why would you not want to work in the surf industry? And was yeah. there other surfers, your predecessors, that were like had jobs? You knew that was an avenue. Like you knew, like people. Well, that was a thing back then. So you had the industry was still pretty small. It was right? yeah, That's what I mean. Yeah. There wasn't probably too many people that are like retired yeah. pro surfers that just got these killer jobs. Correct. Yeah. Like, and and it was mostly it was hard for ex pro surfers to get a job because you had that stigma, right? That, yeah. you, that hey, he's a really good surfer, but like yeah. don't rely yeah. on him in for any yeah. spreadsheets or any, you know, sales calls or <laughs> marketing yeah. efforts or whatever, right? It was like you were a ex pro surfer and there was a certain level of of stigma. the stigma that went with that, the stereotype of yeah. the, of a Spicoli, yeah, yeah, bro, like that was really present which is so far from the truth when you are a successful surfer exactly but but nobody knew that and even i think we still have that hangover today right and there's a part of me that embraces that it doesn't matter it doesn't you know but there's another part of me that goes well it's it's not really accurate and you don't want to put out this negative vibe when it's actually really good so So this guy called you for a good conversation Uh and you'd never did you ever work in a shop I, I worked at Carl's shop for okay. God five six years. Um, so you, yeah, but you I, have but that, I, that kind of salesman. Yeah, but I had it. never I had never done a job like this. Like I'd never been a sales rep. I didn't even I didn't really know what it consists of. I, yeah. I mean, there's the obvious, right? Yeah. You you sell clothes to surf shops. That's simple, but like, what are all the other things that go into it? That part I didn't know. So, yeah. um, but totally green. But the yeah, completely green. But the good news was. 
I wanted to work in the surf industry. And at the time, I mean, even to this day, you could still argue this Quicksilver, an amazing brand, right? Yeah. Within that For space. Sure. Especially, Especially yeah. then, right? Yeah. This is 1990-ish. And so um, uh, basically he, I guess whether it was the recommendation or the phone call or a combination of both, he was comfortable with me and said, hey, I think you're the guy for the job. So, but in the, the good and the bad news was he paid me, but it was like, I was making two grand a month, right? And, which, but at the time I'm like, that's less than I'm making on tour, but I've got, but I'm working for Quicksilver. Yeah. And I'm gonna freaking run this place. Like that was my mentality was. You, what were you making? As a pro surfer, I I don't recall like exactly, but I think the most I ever made in a year was probably fifty grand. Which Something is like still maybe back maybe then. sixty at, on a on a the best year, yeah. and, and you'd probably even Which have to throw in back then. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It, it enabled me to do the tour without spending one cent of my own money. I didn't yeah. have to tap in any savings or ask mom and dad for help to get to Japan or anything yeah. like that. That was that was the cool part. But I also wasn't banking money to like put a down payment on a house yeah. <laughs> or pay cash, no less. You know, yeah. like that didn't happen. So, so you're what in like early twenties when Quicksilver. Yeah, so I was, let's see, I went off tour when I was probably 25 or 6. So I was probably 25, 26 when Dan right. called. And I took the job, and he was he was a San Diego sales rep. He, he handled part of um, it Arizona, I think. Yeah. Yeah, part of the southern part of Arizona. You got relocated. So, yeah, so I moved to Encinitas, um, which is, I love that little town. It's a cool town anyway, right? So I moved into this little garage apartment I rented from this guy. I had, I had a dog. Um, I had just gotten a dog because I was off tour and I was around enough to have a dog. So I had my golden retriever, Bear. It was a super cool dog. It was me and him and moved out of my parents' house and started paying rent to this guy in this little garage apartment right, right near Swami's kind of in that little zone right there. And um, started working for Dan and visiting surf shops up and down the coast and, and selling goods. And that's how I got into the industry. And then um, I, I did well. We did good. And I got recruited. Same thing. I got recommended by, I know, I'm actually 99% sure this one was Pat Cairns, to um, Mike Parnell at Oakley, who was Jim Gennard's partner, right? Mike came in. He was a big OP guy, yeah. right? And then he went over to Oakley. And he needed um, a marketing guy. And uh, that was when our net had left to start our net. And they had a gap in the marketing role for surfing. So my name got thrown in there. And Mike Parnell called me. I went in for an interview. and Not, not for sales, but for marketing. Marketing, yeah. Okay. I was basically sports marketing. Yeah. Right? So I was the team manager for surf was what it worked out yeah. to be. And so I did. But you had done no marketing except no, for. No, I had yeah. done the sales role with Quick, but yeah. outside of that, nothing. And it was different back then, too, because the marketing now is wildly different and way better than it was then. I mean, for the most part, companies sponsored people and they tried to make sure that they got exposure at opportune times. Yeah. Right. So for me being on tour, it was like, let's make sure all the guys have all the right stuff. Let's get the right guys that are influential enough on the team. So me pulling in Gurr was like one of those big moves that, that I was stoked about. Yeah. Um, and a few other guys like that. But we also, I mean, by then they already had Carol. They had Ellickerson. They had... So when was this? Yeah, everybody. Like this was year, 90. A year or two into... Repping? Oh, sorry, 92. No, so it was after two years of repping, I got this call from, from Parnell about the, the marketing job at Oakley. So that was in 92. And I went in for an interview, and I guess I did good because he, again, offered me the job in the interview. Yeah. And I said, in yes. In Irvine, the foothill? 
It was bef- not the building. not the building they're at now. It was the old um, Ten Holland address. Okay. It was on the co- it was on a corner right okay. off on Holland, and at, uh, the, at the beginning of Oakley. Yeah, but it wasn't their first building. Okay. It was like their second building. They had another small, small building where they but started. they hadn't blown up yet. They hadn't really blown up okay. yet. Well, they were doing, like, when I went to work for them, they were doing about 70 or 80 million, which to me was like... For sunglasses? Well, yeah. I, I thought, how could you possibly sell more glasses to make more money? They're, Quicksilver. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, I couldn't imagine how they could sell more sunglasses to, to yeah. get above 70, 80 million. Yeah. They went on to be a billion plus dollar brand, yeah. you know? So, yeah. so clearly I was not aware. A lot aware. of frog scans and a lot of blades. Yeah. yeah. But, blades, um, razor blades. <laughs> but that job was super fun because it basically put me back on tour. I mean, Parnell was like, I want you to travel with all the guys and do what you used to do. You just, you just won't be surfing in the contest, but you'll be basically doing the same thing. Yeah. So I spent that's the, even better. I spent the next five <laughs> years back on tour, traveling around. You know, I didn't go to every event, but I went to a lot of events and I supported yeah. my guys. And I would spend a month on the North Shore. I'd rent a house and I would have every single guy, because every guy was there, they would come to the house. I would renegotiate their contracts for the next year. And I had a printer and the whole deal. I would print their contract. They would sign it. I would fax it into the crew. And like when we had fax machines, yeah. <laughs> I'm I making myself it. like really old right now. But yeah, so that was a super fun era. And, um, and then I... Which was a got pay raise too, right? Huge pay raise, yeah. I mean, I wasn't like rolling, but it was like I went from two grand Job to making security. like... I think I made like 60 or 70 grand, something like that. So that was a huge jump from, from two grand a month, yeah. right? And then I was able to buy a house and then that's when I got married and all that stuff. So... Um, did you move back to when did you make the move back? Yeah, so th- so I moved shortly after I got the job. I went, the commute would have been gnarly. Yeah, I was driving from Encinitas and that was that got old really quick. So yeah. after probably a month or two, I started looking for a house. My dad knew I was looking for a house and he had gotten into um, investment properties in real estate. So he was at an open house one day and, and met this real estate agent that he thought was really cool and, and she was really knowledgeable and he's like, he knew I was gonna look for a house. So he goes, hey, you should call this chick. She's, she's really knowledgeable in your area where you wanna find a home. And, and he goes, and by the way, she's kinda hot. <laughs> so he gives me her card and you know, real estate agents usually put their the photo, photo on the yeah. suit. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at her picture, I'm like, whoa. And I know I was serious about buying a house. Dad so I, set you up with your lady. So long story short, I called her and she showed me houses and I bought her. I bought a house from her and I moved her in and we now have two kids and we've been married 28 years. How funny. Yeah. Di- yeah. Di- Diana Farnsworth. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Dad, so, dad, yeah Diana. And, I, and I'm giving full credit to dad. because <laughs> yeah. And my dad told me, I had a girlfriend for six years prior to that and they... She was good. My family and her didn't jive perfectly. It was good, but yeah, not, not, yeah. not great. But um, he always told me I can't pick women. And, and so he picked one, and here I am. <laughs> and, and so I got to give him credit. Like, yeah. I like to say I had a lot to do with it, but all I did was seal the deal. Like, yeah. he, he put it out in front of me, you know. That is great. So, yeah. So, that is amazing. Yeah. Did, did you bust out your modeling pictures? That's why. <laughs> I know I did at some point, but I, I hope it wasn't on the first date. I don't. I don't think it was. No. But yeah. So you <laughs> have somebody that was one of your competitors that's claiming. Oh no. That you moved to Saint Clemente so you could stifle the Arnett uh, or electric or Arnett. 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 Probably yeah. Arnett. Yeah. Probably Arnett, yeah. No, I was moving. truth to that? You can clamp down on the edict. But, but I'll tell you what we did do. Harris was telling us that 
Yeah, for all of a sudden, yeah, Farney was in the lineup recruiting people for Oakley. Well, that was that part's true. Coincidence or not? Yeah, no, that part's true, but it wasn't the reason I. I don't know why they hired me. I'm assuming they just needed to fill that spot and yeah. what, why it was me versus somebody else, their call. I don't know. Yeah. But um, once, I, once I was in, it was definitely like we got we to gotta mess with, especially Arnett, because, you know, Greg and, and Jim had a falling out. Like yeah. That whole deal was, was bad. Yeah. And so um, Jim certainly wanted to do everything he could to, to mess with hey, them. Find out who they're going so, after and make sure you get them. Well, one of the things he did was – so. Jim had a son, Jamin, right? I don't know if you guys know Jamin, but um, he's he's great dude, and he's he's actually started his own eyewear brand right now. <laughs> awesome. So um, yeah, so um, Jamin was a, a young kid at the time, and he knew. I don't think he went to San Clemente High, but I think he knew a bunch of kids there that did to go there, yeah. or his friends were had friends at San Clemente High. So for whatever reason, I got called into Jim's office one day, and he goes, "Hey." I'm going to hook you up with Jamin. He's going to give you a list of guys. Like, these are dudes I want to go support. I want to, I want to make sure we get every one of the hottest kids at San Clemente High School on the Oakley program. And, and we weren't stealing from anybody. He just wanted to make a statement in the area. And yeah. so we did. And Jamin hooked me up with a couple guys. Chad Navarro was one of them. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a, a kid named um, Fong Wen, I think was his first name, if I'm not mistaken. I might be butchering that. But uh, so between him and actually Sean Flurio was one of them, who you guys know yeah. well, right? Fleurs was one of them. And there's, there's a few other guys. But um, we ended up sponsoring about eight kids. Um, some of which went on to do great things. Um, and it was the starting of that. And I'm sure what Enoch was talking about, because yeah. it was definitely like I was meeting with these guys. Were, a lot of them were pretty young at the yeah. time. There were some that were not high school kids. They were even younger. So in that case, I would team up with mom and dad and yeah. kids. So I'd go to like a breakfast. We'd surf in the morning and yeah. I'd take them out to breakfast and I'd give my spiel to the parents. Yeah. And then we would actually do a contract. We would do a full on signed contract. We're going to support your kid by paying his... NSSA entries yeah. all year or we're gonna whatever we would do some kind of a deal and and you Bar know road for Oakley too right yeah Farney signed up Ooh. for my contracts oh yeah yeah, yeah exactly but yeah. in in our surf world I feel like um, there's a, a, a couple of big corporate style well Quicksilver brands. laid the foundation the platform to like what I feel like you know uh, Oakley was right behind Quick yeah. on like Hey, we need the best couple guys in each town. You know, right. I need my best California or USA guys. I need the top. Like yeah. they had a really good layering. Well, there was a program. there was like a what I remember back then too, and we kind of did this at Oakley was there was kind of a, this regional approach, right? Yeah. You wanted to cover like all the key surf areas, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, like Santa Cruz, right? You got to have somebody in Santa Cruz. You got to have somebody in Cocoa Beach. Sure. You got to have somebody in the Jersey area, right? Yeah. So so we. Like, we spread it wide, right? I mean, there was the top guys that made all the money, but then there was, like, a couple hundred guys yeah, that got free product. And, flow, yeah, and they got, team. they got photo incentive contracts and things like that. So they were – and they got the product that they wanted anyway because yeah. <laughs> half yeah. those guys, everybody was all into the brand at the time anyway. Yeah. So What do you think my X medals are worth right now, original? <laughs> Dude, I got a pair in my closet, too. I should – yeah. <laughs> And I have a time bomb watch that I hear it might be worth oh, a I, think it was, yeah, I, I got a few pairs of the original shoes. Oh, shoes? yeah. Shoe yeah. one? The yeah. black and yellow ones? Yeah, black and yellow. You know, there's an undisclosed amount of Kevlar fiber in that shoe. Yeah, Kevlar. <laughs> and, and, and the racing tire sole. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah, that Jim was the king of marketing, man. Oh my God. How long was that one? Uh, the shoes or just the Oakley, Oakley. gig? Uh, 14 years. 14. Damn. Yeah. So I did six years in the marketing role. And then Oakley decided to, so we had this big to-do with um, Sunglass Hut. And they didn't buy from us for like, like one quarter and because they were over inventory or something. And it just, we had already gone public at that time. And it just tanked us. And so Jim just like snapped and went, okay, we can't, we can't let this happen again. So how can we, how can we guard against this? And so he decided to diversify and go into other categories. So that's when he started apparel and he started the footwear thing. He had had the footwear idea for years and actually had gone to Phil Knight. They knew each other, Nike, Phil Knight, right? And he had gone and presented it to Phil and said, why don't we do something together? I've got this idea. And basically it was injection molding soles, which is not how they did it. And so he took the ideas he had in eyewear and we're putting them into footwear. And I guess Phil Knight was sort of like, hey, yeah, cool, thanks, but I think we're good, you know, which yeah. is logical, right? Yeah. And 80% of Nike's business is in general. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> most of those shoes. Yeah, now I think yeah. they probably adjust it. But at the time, he didn't want to be a part of it. So Jim said, okay, well, I'll just start my own gig. And at the same time, I don't know if you remember this either, but there were all these rumblings that Nike was going to get into eyewear. And oh. so Jim used to go to Phil and go, hey, Phil, it's cool. Like you run your company, whatever. Like, but just can you tell me? Like, I, I just yeah. Just as a, a, a can I make them for you? A, you know? Or <laughs> as a courtesy, like we're kind of friends, right? We're business associates. We're friends. And so, like, if you're gonna do this, like, it's cool. But it would be nice if you told me, just yeah. because we're buddies, right? They shared a lot of athletes, right? Yeah. I mean, you had Andre Agassi. You had all kinds of crazy people. Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, Jordan yeah. as well. Exactly. So. Basically, Phil kept telling him, no, it wasn't going to happen. And then sure enough, they launched this big eyewear brand. So at that point, Jim just snapped and went, okay, I'm doing footwear. You know, screw it. I'm, I'm going in. And so he did. And we launched Shoe One with, with an undisclosed amount of Kevlar fiber yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the sole. So he just marketed up a storm. But the, the footwear thing was tough and the apparel thing was really tough. But when they started apparel, I decided, hey... I want to advance my career. I want to not be known as just a marketing guy because you're just stuck in marketing. And like, I wanted to be able to make more money and grow and do things. So I applied for this um, brand manager role for apparel, which was basically, they call it brand manager, but it was pretty much a sales manager role. And luckily they gave it to me and I got it. And so that put me on the sales management side of things. And I started managing the sales reps and, and the apparel division. But it was really tough because the first line we made was six styles and they only came in black. So that's what I showed accounts. I was like, here's our six shirts. <laughs> there was two wow. jack there's two jackets and four shirts or something. <laughs> and and they're like, Well, what colors do you have? I'm like, You're looking at it. <laughs> so that was the humble went for the whole like minimalist Well what he did was that was basically what Jim liked to wear. Yeah. And this is, goes back to Jim's whole mentality. Like when he did eyewear, he did things that he liked. Yeah. So whether the market was ready for it or thought it was stupid and weird. I mean, remember over the tops, the one that went you know, yeah. like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he tries to get creative and weird, but at the same time, it's things that he digs. And so sometimes you're like, yeah, but it's not that sellable. Like, yeah. No. And so, but in eyewear, he had way more leeway to get crazy. In apparel, yeah. he was nothing, right? Yeah. Not he, but the brand. Yeah. So it was really hard to walk into a surf shop and go, hey, you guys interested in this? You guys sell the shit out of our eyewear. I don't know why you wouldn't be able to sell other parts yeah. of the brand. But it was challenging. And the thing is, the footwear thing, they finally kind of like moved on and did different stuff. They went into sandals and did all kinds of things eventually down the line. But the apparel line eventually did start to flow. And, yeah. and especially what where they had a, a good stronghold was 
technical apparel. So the snow side became legitimate and that legitimized Definitely. everything yeah. else. Now they have a, a reasonably good business with apparel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, you know, we always say diversify your portfolio and then you think about that but then it when doesn't it doesn't work, work, they should have stayed in their lane. It's like, <laughs> right. it's Oakley. The name, the logo, the yeah. money, the backing, the, the, the influence they have. Like, yeah, yeah it, it could work easy to go in other yeah. categories. Yeah. But, but, but I always get mad at, at companies like DVS or Lakai or Supra, you know, like footwear companies. And then they want to make clothing. Right, yeah. right. You know, like. Well, we no. so I'm with, or even like Channel Islands trying to make clothing, or yeah. Rusty was making clothing, tail pads and leashes and yeah. door it's, bags. It's just and, like you know what I mean, like dude, like stay in a lane. It's or hard stay to in a lanes. it's hard to be all things to all people, yeah. right? And and once you establish what you're good at and yeah. known for, and yeah. people have confidence, and you're authentic and credible, two big words in business, right? Yeah. That you got to be, especially in our, in our and field. Incredible. Yeah. Credible That's and incredible. <laughs> so, um, uh, but authentically yeah, it, incredible. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to do that when you're trying to expand in a brand, and it's and I think the key part is like you got to do something that makes some sense to your brand and your distribution, yeah. and that's where. I think Oakley was really tough because the footwear thing there was no distribution. Yeah, and even even I mean on the eyewear side there was definitely some things there, but. If Jim had decided to do footwear in the action sports realm of footwear, we could have had gotten a place. But yeah. you remember shoe one, like yeah. it's like, what is this shoe? Yeah, it's, it's like it's a like, military looking, yeah, futuristic moon. Yeah, 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 like Dune high top slash yeah. yeah. right. GI Joe guy. And if he said, hey, let's just come into the market. What do surfers wear? Let's get a killer sandal. Let's do this. Yeah. It could have gotten traction easily. And could have yeah. built from easily. There. But yeah, he went his way yeah and and ironically then they went into basketball which kind of made some sense right because for sure obviously from a brand standpoint and from a distribution standpoint things like that we were always the company that people used to kind of say if anybody could kick nike's ass it's you guys so it was mm-hmm. like okay so the basketball thing but then again he didn't do basketball the way like most people would try to do basketball he tried to do basketball like an oakley way so i remember we got one i'm always forgetting his name but he was an up-and-coming player at the time and really hot, like, you know, like the newest guy. And he agreed to sign up on our footwear program um, with a shoe that wasn't really a basketball shoe. Like we started making them, quote, basketball shoes. But my point is that Jim did things very different and very weird. And it yeah. was really hard to make them work sometimes. Yeah. And if, he, if we did succeed, it was, it was awesome because yeah. it was new and exciting and everybody loved it. But there were a lot of times where... It just wouldn't work because yeah. you just you, you didn't have retailers that would be willing to invest in a in a chance. Yeah. Right. And so those times when you try to strike into that category, those categories are so locked up. You know. Also like they, true. Yeah. Locked up in in dollars of orders from dealers. Right. But, right. but you're trying to marketing's everything. Yeah, yep. you know, you gotta have a good product. But yeah. if you're launching a shoe, and every other athlete's locked up in a contract with a yeah. real shoe, right? Yeah, right. Like brand, then and you're right. like, well, how do we? How do I get in? How do I get in? Right. The, the funny thing is, like, what you're saying, if if anybody can kick Nike's ass, it's Oakley. But Oakley became so, I think, Nike esque because they really mesh together. Yeah. You yeah, 
Well, they, yeah, like they were counterparts. So it was hard, right? Like you guys cover these categories, yes. we cover the other ones, yes. right? So that, now when you start mixing really, them, that's yeah. what lifted up. Oakley into yeah. the Nike realm because of the association. Well, and, and when they started eyewear and we started footwear, now you started seeing contracts being yeah. written totally different. Yeah. And so that kind of messed up the sponsorship yeah. side where you had these synergenic yeah. brands that could live together with one another. Yeah. Now you couldn't. It was like, no, you can't. Yeah. One or the other. You got to pick one or the other. You can't, yeah. you know, they make our product and we make theirs. And so... Yeah, it was different. And it's interesting because, like, you know, we heard that with Rip Curl and Quicksilver at the beginning, you know, like they started and, hey, you make white suits, we'll make board shorts. Yeah. Right. And that was, that was the handshake. Right, the handshake deal. deal. Yeah. And then years later, it's like, yeah. all yeah. right, all right, yeah. let's, gloves are off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. people get into that, you know, mindset of diversifying the portfolio, but then not executing it yeah. properly. Yeah. And like, what's ironic about it too is you, you think you've probably, if depending on what you're in and what you're doing and how big you're at, most companies still have a long way to go in the category they're in. Yeah. There's so much more. Like let's talk about international business. Let's talk about, you know, other things. Like if you're, I mean, Skullcandy is a good example right now. We have, I think it's 70% of our business in the U.S., not that we don't have international business. We're in like 48 countries or something. But there's tons of room for growth yeah. outside of just the U.S. So rather than sort of muddying up our distribution here, shouldn't we maybe explore yeah. expanding our distribution and, and in countries and within, you know, retailers within the countries we're already in yeah. versus like whoring ourselves out here? Yeah. Like yeah. those are the decisions you make, right? So, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people like just pull the trigger too early on trying to be all things to all people. So, so Oakley... You think I could still get a sporty? I could still get a photo incentive for that. Oh my god! Look at that. What Dude, you, you look kind of sexy right there. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a two-page spread. Dude, that's in a, a book. It should be. It's uh, in a book. Sorry, we'll, we'll show that later, you guys. Yeah, it's a photo of me. It's got to show. Carry uh, the goat's board with the goat so one good. pipe. That's it. awesome. That's so, so bad. Funny. Look at those things. Is that X metal? No, no, I, that no, was a that's a that's jacket. an eye jacket. Yeah, that's a eye silver jacket. eye jacket. Yeah, yeah. Look at the guy, he knows. yeah, but it's like bright silver, so it's almost like white. You know, yeah. so it's fourteen years. Fourteen, yeah. So I did the six years in the marketing role, and then when I got hired for the brand manager role for apparel, I was there another eight, and then that got pretty funky toward the end. Like it got it got really contentious. We were, you know, we had grown the apparel business quite a bit. It was a yeah. legit category, but they wanted it. You know, yeah, and so and back to that mentality, especially Jim, and, and eventually became a guy named um, Colin Baden, who became CEO at one point. Um, he's a he's a crazy. I think he's an architect. He was Jim's architect and designed some of Jim's houses. Like you know, he owns the islands up in Washington, and he was supposedly going to build these like bunker type houses on these islands, but he never did. But Colin, I think, was his architect. I think. Nice. And so he, he brought, brought uh, Colin in, and eventually Colin kind of ran the business. And so toward the end there, um, they just wanted so much more business out of apparel, and they just thought that the problem was me. And there was a couple things that had gone awry with buying way too much inventory. They tried to pin that all on me. I, at the time, I was like, hey, look, I can take partial responsibility for that. I, I am the yeah. brand manager, and we did. I was you know talking with supply chain and all this stuff, but like... There were other people that have to sign off on that purchase or whatever. Like, yeah. I'm just talking about my part. You guys built enough product for the whole world, and you built it for international, and that's the international guy, you know? 
And ironically, that guy, the international guy that was the one pushing this through, ended up being my boss a few years later. Dang. And this is when they tried to pin that whole deal on me because they called me the $6 million man because it was like this $6 million purchase that they had too much inventory. Yeah. And so Tommy Rios is the guy. Um, he's super good friends with, with Jim. He was our distributor in Mexico for years, and he did such a good job down there. Jim brought him up here and basically gave him the keys to the castle at one point. He said, you run all sales globally. So he became my boss. And so... Um, it started off pretty rough and basically they tried to pin this deal on me and I, the irony of it was I'm like, Tommy, you were in the fucking room when we did this by now you're, you're trying to pin it on me. You're the one that said yes too. Yeah. Like we're in this together, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he basically at one point, not, I don't think it was because he wanted to do it, but I think he was getting pressure from other people. So they basically fired me, but they didn't fire me from the company. They said, look, if you want to stay, we'll, we'll find another spot for you in the company. Um, but if you're bummed and you know, you know, you want to, you're free to do what you want to do, but we're, we're going to look for somebody else for this role. And mm. I was like, I was so bummed, right? Yeah. yeah. So I sat back, went back to my desk, sat there or whatever, and then ended up going on a trip a couple weeks later where, with everybody. And we went and saw a bunch of retailers. And the coolest part about that is we got to walk into retailers with a rep and then with Tommy and these other people, and we would talk to them. Hey, Barney, what yeah. up? Woo, yeah. And then he was like, yep. Well, that happened, but then it was like, hey, can you maybe we're here to talk about the apparel division when I was, maybe you could tell these guys why you're, you know, not down to support us more than you already are, or, or even bring us in at all if, if you're not carrying us currently. And then these retailers would start talking and I would just sit back and just, yeah, I wouldn't say a word. And so we did this for like a week on the road, we went a bunch of different States and we yeah, saw these. Not me. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, so by the parts. time that ended, it was kind of cool. We got back and, and, Mine started changing all stuff. So there was a guy in between me and Tommy that they had hired. This guy from Nike. His name is Jim Strausser. He was there for a while. He's the guy that does Cali Strong now. And if you've seen that, Cali Strong. Yeah, it's a brand. Yeah. It's this brand that he's doing. Anyway, um, so Strausser was in there, and he was technically my boss. Well, he was supposed to be looking for someone to replace me. He was supposed to be interviewing people. Well, I sat right next to him. So every now and then, I'm like, Jim, what are you like? What's going on with my? Am I fired or not? Am I? Are you guys gonna offer me something oh, new? Yeah. yeah. Is there a new guy coming in to take my? What's going on? And he's like, he would look at me and he'd be like, I'm supposed to be interviewing people, but he goes, I haven't interviewed one person yet. <laughs> he goes, wow. He goes, just keep doing what you're doing. I go, okay. So I'd go back to work, right? So like a couple months went How by. Awkward. So is he over the Tommy guy? No, under. Under, okay. Right, but they, they tasked him with, like, he was Finding in the room when... Or, or yeah. expanding... He was in the room when they kind of fired me, but he didn't say a word because he wasn't, wasn't in agreement. He knew I was doing a good job. He just, he was stuck because yeah. Tommy... And Tommy's like this crazy, like, hot-blooded Latino dude. Like, this, he leads by fear. He's a heavy guy, right? Yeah. So, Sounds um, like a dork to me. Kind of, but we actually ended up, like, in the beginning, it started off rough. Yeah. And, and I, I hated Tommy, right? Yeah. And then he kind of fired me, right? So I really hated him. Yeah. <laughs> well, then a couple months went by and they never hired anybody. And long story short, I ended up going, I got, I got super into motocross when I was there. And I started riding a bunch. And so by this point, I had been riding a lot. And I got pretty decent, like for a surf turkey. Like yeah. I was an okay moto guy. And Tommy used to be a freaking national champion. Oh, like wow. legit. Like this guy was a gnarly no, uh, motocross guy. Did you guys go riding together? So we ended up riding together this weekend. I went out with some friends. He went out with some friends. We ended up meeting at the track, but I didn't even know he was going to be there. And the funny part was, even though he's super good, he hadn't ridden in years. So I was smoking him on the track, which is unbelievable because like I was riding all the time and he hadn't ridden in like 10 years or something. <laughs> and so I had this great day on the track and then all these other things that happened, the, the trip with yeah. all the accounts, all this stuff. 
And so he started working on other people about my gig. And after like, I think it was two or three months, they just reinstated me into my job and I yeah. continued on for So he's like, yeah. he can ride. Hey, so he's I, so cool. I, so I was there for a couple more years doing that. And then this thing with Colin where they were trying to pin all this stuff on me and all this stuff. And I just kind of got like, I was over it by then, you know? Yeah, I was yeah. like, I was under so much stress and all this and Colin didn't get it. And Colin and Tommy were really good friends. So they were trying to work on the business together because Tommy ran sales and Colin led product. And if you know anything about Oakley, it's never product. Yeah. It's never product. It's gotta be sales. It's gotta be sales or marketing because yeah. the product is the uh -huh. shit, yeah. no matter what. It doesn't matter, you could make this and they're like, yeah. it's per whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's never product, it's so, so it's never gonna be Colin's fault because that's his animal, right? And so basically he started getting after like wanting to have me fired and I was oh, he's because of him da, 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 and whatever. And, so I ended up having conversations with him and all this stuff. And long story short, by the end of it, Colin kind of figured out all this stuff. Tommy was talking to him. Other people on the apparel team were talking to him. And finally, he realized it wasn't me. But by then, I had been contacted by a guy. You remember Guy Trotter? Yeah. So Guy Trotter was working for me. At, well, not at the time, but had worked for me. And he had left. And Guy rang me one day and said, hey, he was a part of OAM yeah. when it first started. Yeah. So. OAM was looking for somebody to run the business. They, they had got bought and there was some 70 year old dude running it that had taken companies public before or something, but he didn't have a clue what he was doing with surf. So the brand was struggling. And so they wanted to bring somebody in. So they called me and I was like, hey, I'm good where I'm at. Da, da, da. Well, then a couple months later, all this shit went down with Colin and all this. They wanted to fire me and all this stuff for the second time, right? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, now I'm interested. And because the guy said, look, he called me back a second time. He goes, look, we really, really want you. Every, your name keeps coming up. You're the guy, blah, blah, blah. I said, great, that's awesome. But I I would need to have an ownership stake in this for me to consider it. And they're like, we can do that. So I'm wow. like, okay. So then we found some Good. other investors and me. So there was four of us. And we went and did this deal with OAM. And we took over some ownership of it and bought it off these guys and all stuff. So I quit and I went to work. Well, by then, Colin had kind of changed his mind. and and But I... He had changed his mind before I told him I was leaving. So there was like another few weeks or a month or something where I still worked, but then I organized this thing on the side. And then I came in one day and I resigned. And they were just like, huh? <laughs> we, we felt good though, huh? It felt so good. Oh my God, at the time. We talk about having like a skill set in like, a, a, like a, a sport, you know, whether it's snowboarding or skateboarding or surfing and right. how that helps propel your status right yeah but you got to have yeah everything else on the business side that yeah. kind of yeah. you know yeah and when you're you know was it tommy who's, who's the mech, uh well colin was the guy at, at that time colin but but tommy was by my moto, side at that the point moto, the, tommy, the moto right yeah so you know here you are yeah. surfer dude whatever right like he saw you on the track right yeah. right and then you freaking kick ass he's like <laughs> We need to keep this guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, do, what, part do, of it, do yeah. what you got to do to keep the, like, we're going to find a position, right. you know, right? right. Like, that's just well, that and, that and the cool part was that all the problems that Colin was thinking were like, he was trying to pin on me. Yeah. Like, we, he'd go, oh, your sales suck. I'm like, I'm like, Colin, we're going to trade shows with half a sample line. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's product. That's your team. If you can get me sound, he goes, what? He, like, he was things he didn't know. So he's like going, what? What's going on? And I go, we have a trade show in a week and I've got a quarter of a sample line and I've got the other quarter coming, but I'm, I'm missing half our styles. How much can I sell off a freaking picture in a book? Yeah, yeah. It's not the way that industry works. Yeah. You got to show samples. So crazy. Right? And so, and then like catalogs would suck. They would have mistakes in them, prices, all this stuff, right? Yeah. And it was stuff that was out of my 
control. Yeah, here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. as he learned all that, he got to understand and, uh, you know, whatever. And so it got better and all that. But by then I was just so, yeah. I'd been there 14 years and I was just ready for a change. And I thought the idea of being able to literally live the dream by owning your own little surf company I was only going to own part of it, but I had a, a nice little chunk of yeah. it. And not just any surf company, like one that's the momentum generation, like right. founded and right. owned, which like right. the marketing, you know, that's right. there. Right. You know, and then all we got to have is good product. Yeah. And it, I mean, I didn't need it to be a 50, $100 million company. We could turn this thing into a little five, $10 million, little miniature decline or whatever yeah. and just crush it. Right. So that was, right. the, that was the idea and that was the goal. And so... I started working. We did. We went to our first trade show. We redesigned the whole product line. I brought in new people. We did all this cool stuff. I was the CEO, which is was fun. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, the deal that we did. Um, this is a long ass story, but the short version was it fell through. Oh. And so we, my partners, who actually put the money up, I was the sweat equity guy. They were the money guys. They had to pull out, and they just said, "Look, we're not we're not prepared to lose any more money on this deal. So these guys aren't." doing what they need to do and so it never got fully executed even though we had like our stock certificates like were sent over so it was it was kind of weird it was i don't know all the details of it exactly but long story was, short it, it fell through you were on the yeah cusp along of it up. so that was a six month time so i was there six months and then shit. the whole thing broke up and so then i was out of a job so i was like oh shit now what do i do <laughs> so the cool part was right about that time casey fleming who was at quick made a move to Rusty, I think. That was when Rusty was trying to prop the brand up again to like sell. So he went over to La Jolla, which was, Rusty was the um, licensee or whatever for yeah. it. I think, I, think I, I think that's right. Yeah. And, um, and so there was an opening. And so I had relationships with McKnight and other people since I was at Quick before years ago. So I put the feelers out to everybody. And one day I got a call or somebody mentioned something to me that there was an opening at Quicksilver and I called McKnight and talked to him and he goes, hey, call Hobie. He's the guy doing it. So I called Holbrook and then Marty Samuels was there too. I don't know if you know Marty, but yeah. all management guys at, at Quick. And so I ended up getting an interview with Marty and Marty liked me and they hired me and I ended up being a sales manager for wetsuits and accessories for Quick. And I was there for, I think I was there from 06 to 09 and then 09 was when they imploded and that's when it started the that's when they had bought um, Rosignol and all mm -hmm. that and, and so but then 08 09 hit and the economy sunk and yeah. retail went crazy and they owned all this retail business so they got into big trouble and they laid off like 700 people <laughs> and I was one of them <laughs> so I got out on that deal and then tapped around for a little bit did some random things tried to restart with Shane Beshin um, uh, momentum yeah or wait momentum? monument monument sorry yeah. yeah so the monument brand was coming back dean reynolds ended up moving into my track where i live in san Clemente, like four doors down from me what? you remember dean reynolds yeah yeah so dean moves in i'm like this is weird so we were chatting one day and he mentioned something he was talking to beshin about this thing and they're gonna bring back monument and he goes dude you should you should call shane about that yeah. so i did I ended up taking a trip to New York because the guys that now own Monument were these New York Garmento guys, which yeah. was a little sketchy, but I was like, I need a job. <laughs> yeah, but they might have money and they might have good, you know. Exactly. And they got all the back, you know, the back end back stuff channel. and the, the factory stuff's all done. These guys were licensees for a bunch of other brands. And so, again, I had this really long interview with them, but they hired me on the spot. And so we started this Momentum thing, and uh, or Monument thing. Yeah. And, um, I keep saying that because you're talking about the movie. I know. Yeah. Momentum <laughs> generation. So anyway, Monument. but yeah. Monument was rad. And I brought in, um, uh, when we, we were 
starting this whole thing, redesigning the line and fixing it up and doing all these things. And, and I brought in um, Aaron Hennings, who is Stance yeah, yeah. guy, right? But yeah. Aaron was at Billabong at the time, so I had him on the side trying to help me with his so design cool. and stuff. So we started that whole deal. But then those guys decided they had a they had taken the monument line and created a boys' line, and they were selling it to one big department store guy. The name. The, well, like no, the brand, brand, the actual the brand product. The, yeah, yeah the actual product. But only kids' line. Yeah, boys' line. And so all of a sudden, like we were we were three or four months into this thing, and that retailer decided that the brand wasn't doing that good and they dropped them and so they were bummed because they were thinking that was going to be the funnel that's the that's the funding for what we're doing with farney and these other guys and shane and all that so shane was going to be the marketing guy and i was going to be the the ceo ish guy yeah which was super fun at the time and so we started we did one trade show we did all this stuff and then those guys yanked the plug on that so i was like okay i'm back out of my job again (laughs) so then i tapped around for a little bit and then landed at skull candy and i've been there now 12 plus years and and it's been great the brand's awesome they treat their employees great and it's it's a fun place to work and we now just have a new ceo as of eight days ago i think so we'll see where that takes us but where's their headquarters park city utah okay and then they have Uh, one out here no we had an office out here um when they hired aaron bailey i don't know if you guys know aaron yeah salt he runs he's the ceo at salt yeah and he was at Oakley with us years and years ago. Yeah. And he's also, he was a big wig at Reef for a bunch of years as well. But um, uh, why did I start that story about him? Um, well, Skull Candy, it's not based, it's based in Utah, right? Yeah, but I was trying to figure out why. Oh, so when they hired Aaron, sorry, they brought him on to run international sales. And Aaron wasn't going to re um, locate out to Park City. And they wanted to have a good marketing arm here on the West Coast. So at that point, they got that little office in San Clemente, uh, right there on, on El Camino Real. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know where that was, but it's, it's now it's a doctor's office, but it's right across from Bagel Shack, if you're familiar with that. Okay. But it was a little building there. It used to be an uh, auto parts store or something. They turned it into a, the Skull Candy building. And then Stance, when they started, moved in downstairs. They had it up and downstairs, and so they had some offices down there. And uh, so that started the, the West Coast office. And then when I got hired, I worked out of that. Then, Around the corner from you? Exactly, like right in town, right? And so then um, we both, both companies started getting bigger and bigger and adding more people in that. So we grew out of that office. So they put an office in the Talega Business Park, which is really close to my house, kind of. I'm not in Talega, but I'm close. And so um, that was like even closer to my house. Yeah. And so they built out a beautiful office and we were there for a couple of years. Then we had gone public and all these things happened. 0809 hit, all these things went wrong. And so they closed that office. And so I've just been, I've worked out of my house ever since. It's beautiful. Which has actually really been good. So yeah. I thought I would role, hate it, but. What's your role at Skull Candy? I am, this will date myself again. I'm national senior. <laughs> I think the senior is supposed to be like in title, not in age. But either way, it's yeah. national senior sales manager. Um, I handle three channels of our business out of about 11, something like that. So I handle the mass channel, the B2B channel, and our GovEd channel, which is largely um, college bookstore business. And I was doing specialty and sporting goods up until the start of 2022 when I gave that up to another guy and I took over this mass channel, which is kicking my ass, quite honestly. (laughs) But but it was cool that they they entrusted me with it and it was a really nice thing for me to go hey this is this is cool that they picked me to do this so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in and yeah and so, do it so yeah so that's what i'm doing incredible i mean 12 years now that's what 12 I mean. years yeah like you're at school yeah. candy when like headphones were like not 
that it wasn't that, even an issue. It wasn't in a category. Right. You know, it was kind of like go to big box stores, find your headphones, and yep. then they came in action sports. Yeah. And like the smartphone kind of was, yeah. you know, they're timing. Par- t- yeah, timing parallel. A smartphone and, you know, you or iPod, you know, yep. like all of that yep. was hand in hand. And yep. you were there before they went public, before that, yep. that category blew up. And, yep. yeah. Yep. I mean, we remember when I remember when School Candy came out. Yeah. It was like, yeah. it was like, like you didn't, it was before Stance, yeah. way before, but yeah. it was like Stance where it was right. going into the white space. Well, right. it was, yeah. Well, they created, so, I mean, this is the thing, right? You, you got the headphone business, as you said a minute ago, was black and maybe silver or dark gray, yeah. right? That was it. And you got like Sony and you got Sennheiser and you got all these yeah. like old school brands that have been right. around forever, like yeah. legacy brands. Yeah. Best way to explain that is it's JBL. like it's, it's like your grandfather's you headphones, buy a JBL. right? You're wearing your grandfather's headphones yeah. was the way we used to talk about it. So we came out and said, wait a minute, why don't we make it polka dotted and hot pink and fuzzy earbuds for chicks that are on the snow? Marketing. And yeah, it's, on it's marketing, right? And so, I mean, Rick was this avid snowboard guy, the, the founder, Rick Alden. Um, Super creative guy, um, just just loved the outs, outdoors action sports thing. So he, he put the company in that action sports arena to start. Yeah. So it was like Jack Surfboards and Salty Peaks, you know, shop down there in in, in Park or uh, Salt Lake City. And so like that's where it started. And so you had all these shops going. I don't even sell this product, but it's yeah. like, but it was so cool and the marketing was so yeah. good that they just yeah. went well. Kids will dig this, yeah. so we'll just take them from Best Buy and have them come here, that's, and that's what it did. And it went off. The first couple of years just went crazy. That's well, the thing about what the smart, visionary entrepreneurs do is they make something relevant. You know? Yeah, they're not reinventing anything. They're nope. just making something that's nope. there, cool to a whole and new demographic. Yep. You know, our yep. industry is the youth market, yep. and I mean. If, if you make it relevant in the youth market, you can. So well, Chad, he, like, did you know Nixon? You know, yeah. like, was a perfect example of yeah. great like, example. You know, finding a category that's kind of like not as cool. Nobody's yeah. super proud. Nobody's yeah. like flaring out there. Right. It's just like, yeah. what time is it? Right. You know, to. I'm right. showing the, my. I've got to show my jacket. <laughs> right. I want to make sure you right. know it became. But a he did. Figure. But he didn't do it like a Rolex style, right? No, he did it like an every man's yeah. young man's yeah. Rolex core Rolex, yeah. right? And that that was his Feasible thing. for the watch right. for the, the general right. youth of today. Right, right. Yeah. But and with a but with a, a a marketing vibe that that kid relates to. Yeah. Right. My the other guys that wear this watch are guys like me. Yeah. Right. That's why I relate to it and. They did the same thing with Stance. I mean, Rick Alden and Jeff Curl, two main guys behind Stance, they used to walk, I, don't know, I can't remember which store it was. It's either Walmart or um, one other big retailer. I forgot which one it was. I think it was Walmart. But they used to just walk aisles and just look at all products. And yeah. they came up with the idea for Stance by doing that. Yeah. It was actually Rick's idea, which was the Skullcandy guy, but he was deep into Skullcandy and that. So he's like, hey, Jeff, if you think this is viable, go do it. And just make sure I'm a part of it. I'm just yeah. being an investor or whatever. Yeah. And so Jeff went out and got John Wilson and Aaron Hennings and Ryan Kingman and yeah. um, one guy, Taylor, um, the production guy. Yeah. And they formed that little six-man team or whatever and started Stance. And look at them. They're freaking... Yeah. I yeah. mean, they've had their struggles, after they but... Skull Candy. After Skull Candy, yeah. Sons of bitches. Yeah, they'd already done Serial something. Serial right? entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's, yeah. you know, again, it's just looking at what's out there. Yeah. Knowing your demographic, knowing the marketing, which yeah. is that youth, and right. freaking having the right people. Yeah, blanket ship. 
told us his his same kind of thing that uh, he walked CVS and he walked right. Uh, what can I Walmart do? Walmart and Target. What can I do? Yeah. yeah. You, you Dude, know. ever since I heard that story, I do it. I walk in and I go, what can I, what company yeah. can I start? Yeah. But I got, I want to start it in surf, right? Yeah. I want to start it where the people, with the people I know, yeah. right? But I need a product that they don't already have, yeah. but that is relevant. Yeah. yeah. So what the frick is that? You know, it's hard to come it's, up with what it is. It's when you finally like give up and look somewhere and it might not even pertain to surfing, but it can. Right. And that's what it is. Right. You know, like, right. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Every surfer needs that. Right. Yeah. Right. That was like the playmate, the most successful cooler ever known to human existence, and it sells for nineteen ninety five at you know whatever color at the general store, and then we right. slap a you know and action sports logo, and yeah. then now it's worth forty something. Well, yeah. our new and CEO like, is um, was at Board Riders, yeah. um, Brian Garofalo. Right? Yeah. You know Brian. Or yeah. Is he there now? He's our, new, he's, our new, he's our new CEO. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and I don't know him. I, I know of him. I know his yeah. name, but I've never met him. Yeah. But he was at Board Riders and then went to Igloo, yeah. right? And then he did some collabs with Quickie on the... They had the cooler that looked yeah. like a VW bus, Yeah. right? And then now he got promoted. Igloo's owned by Dometic. Dometic's a bigger brand that does like refrigeration systems for like mobile homes and, and um, RVs and all that kind of stuff. So they do everything from like crazy refrigerators like this down to like little things that just keep a six pack cold. Mm. But so he's now the brand manager for Dometic, the whole thing, or he was. Yeah. <laughs> and we just stole him and he's now our guy. So we're, I mean, we're going to see what ideas he has yeah. with Skull Candy. Cause, so wait, he just started working for Skull Candy? Yeah, like eight days ago. How freaking funny. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. What a small world. Yeah. yeah. So I'm oh, I'm really interested. <laughs> I told him that at Igla. I'm like, dude, sponsor us. Well, here's yeah. the, the only I haven't talked to him yet, but a couple guys that I work for, um, the guys I told you about earlier, um, they have had meetings with him. And one thing he's already talking about is he's like, dude, I want to get I want to get our specialty business back and humming because we we've lost a ton of it, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the brand has expanded its distribution. I mean, we're Walmart, we're Amazon, we're everywhere, yeah. right? So, but if we're gonna we're the only if if you're in if there's audio in an action sports store it's ours yeah there's pretty much nobody else left yeah, yeah. and for a while there were eight or ten brands out there doing a decent job yeah but now it's back to just us or nobody and in surf it's almost nobody yeah so he wants to get that back and I'm like I gave it to this other guy Griffin who's who's a cool dude he's not a surf guy he's a snow guy but I'm like hey I would love to help with this if if you guys go after this. Yeah. I know it's not my job anymore, but please pull me in, you know, because yeah. I'd love to have a few, Again, a, a few ideas. Logo, name, brand, yeah. you know, right people, yeah. reinvent, yeah. you know, get in yeah. the right channels, do it right. I but mean, we need that thing, like you were saying earlier, yeah. where it's like, what is it that would work in a surf shop for a surfer, but not necessarily what you would think of yeah. or right. what hey, they already hey, have? We'll talk that off mic, yeah. you know. Like, we'll, we'll create, we'll we got some ideas. <laughs> we got some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just text me. <laughs> yeah, but freaking twelve, almost thirteen years at Skull Camp yeah, is just freaking impressive. Twelve in a couple months, I think. I think I started in November, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's gone by way faster than the Oakley years. That was fourteen, and I feel like that was fourteen. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, it, but now like the last twelve, just yeah. I think as you get older, just time flood goes faster. Fucking size. I feel like a, I do. I feel like a summer goes by in a month, and it's like three or four it's months, sucks. and it's yeah. gone. You know, so yeah. So down to some important questions. Yes. West Coast Board Riders Club. Are you surfing for any clubs? Nope. 
I, I keep getting asked. Here's the good news. I keep getting asked. I'm super happy that people ask me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I must be decent enough to where they still want me you on know, the team. You know, you know, Bobby the Lockhart is in Huntington, even though he lives in uh, Laguna. Laguna. He's right. on the HB team. Right. Yeah. Well, so, everybody, someday you have to do like well, a special appearance or something. Yeah, we can't have this guy surf. Everybody us. keeps saying, oh, come on, you just... And I'm like... And I, I don't know how to explain <laughs> this, but when I first quit touring, right, the very first thing I missed, I think it was a Japanese event. I think it was supposed to go to Japan. And I just went, I'm not going. I quit. <laughs> so, so I just didn't go. Yeah. And I realized at one point I was out surfing Bolsa Chica. I was, at, I was surfing 33. And I realized that whatever time it was in Japan was my heat was in the water. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, it's too late. I'm done. I, it's, I'm tapped, right? Yeah. I'm never going to get those points back, whatever. It's done. And once I got over that little hump of feeling really weird and nervous about not being there and like, what do you call it, FOMO, yeah. <laughs> right? That whole deal. Um, I got into this mindset where I just wanted to just be a surfer again. I didn't want any of the constrictions of competitive surfing. And, I, and I've been that way ever since. And I'm 57 now. So like that's been 30 something years. Yeah. <laughs> and so... And I still am in that mindset. I don't know. I love, I, I'm happy to, I love watching contests. Yeah. I love watching the world tour. I'll go down and watch the, the guys, the things you guys surf in. But I have no desire to put on a jersey and go out. I have no idea why. And, and it's, I just, I don't know. It feels weird. Even if I went out and won the thing, I don't, I still think I'd be like, yeah, that was cool. But like, I just don't enjoy the process yeah, anymore. Yeah. Which so is, you haven't done a like I haven't a, put on a jersey like an event or anything. I haven't put on a jersey since I quit the tour. What a trip! Not one. That's, not that's one, that's I haven't surfed one heat. Yeah, yeah. I, I I could relate. I'm not. I don't need to prove anything. I don't really have the desire, but I'll do the '70s event. Right. You know. You I, thought about, the, I thought I'll about. I thought about the one, '80s yeah. just because it's novelty and it's fun. You and do the city contest, and I do. I, you I do the board riders. This guy. You know what I would almost do if I if I were to do. <laughs> If I were to do one thing, I might maybe do like a longboard thing if it was at a sick longboard wave. Because I love longboarding and I have a sick old school like nice. Volon glass single like 50-50 rail like a log. Yeah. And I love it and I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not Joel Tudor, but yeah. I'm, I'm all right and I have fun. So I might do that but just for fun to see how I did against like good guys. Yeah. And but I've never surfed Kelly's pool. I've my very first contest ever on the pro tour was a wave pool. No way. I got ninth. Where? Allentown, what? Pennsylvania. Oh, no Pennsylvania. way. It was a it was an at the time ASP not WSL ASP World Tour event, Allentown, Pennsylvania, first event of the year. I went and got ninth, and then I flew to South Africa, and got ninth there. And I was that's when I said earlier I was on yeah. fire at my first. Event. Yeah. Yeah, but the but the wave pool in Allentown, shockingly bad. Like yeah, it's shocking. pretty much like the was one the in one that Irvine, Car- kind of. Carol won, or was it? Did, did Carol win or Derek? Derek and Carol were in the final. Huh. And I, I don't remember. I think I just I think Tommy won. Yeah. Either Tommy or Derek. Yeah. One of the two. So what yeah. they were the smallest, lightest weight yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I got lucky in a couple of heats. I had I had I think I beat Elko and he was 
bigger you gnarly caught a set wave yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and then <laughs> i i think i had sean and he was kind of bigger and heavier too so those guys so had you a, never started surf kelly, so you never surfed no and i want kelly are you listening to this <laughs> i want an invite really? i want an invite i don't have 50 grand laying around to pay for that freaking thing it's, it's like 85 it's 80, now <laughs> it's 80 something now oh okay my bad yeah. i don't have 85 sitting around but you split it between a bunch of dudes yes. yeah but i don't even have that so, so, yeah there. i got two kids on mortgage i got all kinds of shit <laughs> but i do want to get barrel at the Kelly Slater Wave Pool. So yeah, we do. If there's yeah. a way to get me there, you should invite me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, we should. Uh, well, there's going to be soon to be uh, a bunch of pools. Hopefully, they're popping up everywhere, right? Yeah, in driving distance. Palm yeah. Springs Surf Club. Yeah. Hopefully this year. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Is it, so? I know. There's a, I think there's a couple in Palm Springs, right? Or is yeah. that the one that Kalani was involved with? Kalani's involved with the Palm Springs one. Right. Is he still involved? And is yes. he still okay? Because yes. I used to see him doing stuff all the time, all and time. now I don't see it as much. So I'm not sure. They're, they're trying I wasn't to keep sure. it under the wraps before, like that was the testing pool that you all saw. Gotcha. You know? and gotcha. And now it's like okay. Yeah, he said they were going to expand it's, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like yeah. it's hopefully this. Spring. It's just delays like with yeah. everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Construction. Yeah. Can't get concrete. China's buying it all. Two more. <laughs> you know, like, buy everything. Yeah. <laughs> two yeah. more out there at least. Sl- Slater's yeah. got a pool going in and out there. No. 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 That one got kind of off. Was it? Really? Was it? Yeah. Was it going to be his technology or is his, his technology? technology? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I love. Now I got kibosh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The one that like. The big Tom, Tom McDaniels was like behind yeah. that crew. Because yep. it was supposed to be like a country club. Oh, right. with houses. In oh, house full in deal. Development. Yeah, that one got pulled. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of a rad idea. Uh, Oceanside. I heard Oceanside. Yeah. I heard Oceanside like that's a That's like a wave garden Ocean. style. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, whatever. They're, yeah. I got to get up to speed on the different technologies now. Like, obviously, there's Kelly's. It's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. But then... There's these other ones, yeah, and like they the all chamber, seem like right, yeah, pumps, right. And pumps and chambers and whatever. But it's kind of cool some of those other ones because you're able to like they make those little launch sections. They can make it mushy. They can make yeah. it barrel. They, it's kind of cool. A, they're really a, getting good at it. Yeah. Which the is, variety and yeah. experience looks yeah. yeah. Cut Slater's cut Slater's pool in half and then throw a couple of chambers at the end for a wedge or an intersection and you're good. Could be rad. Yeah. They're done. Yeah. Slater's Slater's is perfect. I want to go to Kelly's but I also don't want to go in the middle of the winter if I can avoid it because it looks like it's freaking 40 yeah. degrees versus like it's 80. It's so bad. Yeah. It's yeah. so cold. We've yeah. been both. In, in both. Have you? Yeah. In your city. Both, uh, weather. Yeah. 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 I think it was 48, 52. 48 air, 46 cool. and 52 water. 52 water is pretty chilly. Yeah. That's down there. Yeah. What, what boards are you riding? So I brought a bunch of weird shit now. Um, I, I get Cordell's. He's, nice. yeah, he and I work like pretty close well, together. Yeah, you go left at lower. So. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of the <laughs> obvious one, right? It was a no brainer. Um, but yeah, no, I just like, you know, it's, I just like working directly with someone and so and he's easily accessible he likes it that way and so we get together and do stuff so i've I've had some good boards from him um but i also have been riding a bunch of fire wires um i love the the machado seaside i I ride the five five that's just insane like i do crazy things on that board i have a blast um so fast i have a couple other models that they do as well um and then recently i really wanted to get one of the fire wires that they did with Aquila, the um, the flat earth. 
Yeah. Right? The little twin Those plus the, the two plus one. Yeah, yeah. So I kept, and Chewy's been really cool. It kind of helps me out with, with good programs with Firewire. So I, I was trying to get one at him forever, but that's when like this whole Surprise. supply chain thing yeah. hit. And dude, he didn't have a flat earth for like a year plus. Wow. And I finally got sick of waiting. And so I called Akila and I, <laughs> I go, dude, I'm trying to get one of your boards, but like I can't get one. Will you make me one? And he goes, dude, I'd love to make you one. So I go, awesome. So he goes, but I want to make you two. I go, do it. <laughs> yeah. I go, what do you want to make me? He goes, I got this thing called a modfish. And I go, okay, well, I don't even know what it is, but so sign me up. I go, here's the volume I think I need roughly, so yeah. just do your thing. And he did them in Hawaii, and he sent them over. And, dude, they're insane. And I yeah. love them. So I, there's, I got two from him. I got the couple fire wires that I dig. I got the Cordells. Nice. And then, That's how it should be. You know? Know? What a little like, slut yeah. over here. Yeah. <laughs> Stay excited and yeah. have a bunch well, of fun stuff. That's the thing. Like I, the, the, I went through a phase. So after touring and after all that stuff, and then you get you know really into like job, family, two kids, yeah. young. Like you know, we know there's right. a bit of stress with like making sure you don't lose your job because now you got a bunch of people that you got to support. All that stuff, right? So it took away from surfing quite a bit for a few years there. And during that era, like I had boards and I always surfed, but I just wasn't as engaged. And then when I was like, okay, now I'm at a point where I can re-engage pretty heavily. I just wanted like the fun, right? I wanted to be stoked when it was one foot and shitty on shore. I still wanted to be stoked to surf. Yeah. And I found boards to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so like now, whether it's a longboard at Sano or freaking Doho or a yeah. little fish, you know, when you get out of the water, you're T-Street bummed. or whatever. You have the right board, you're right. psyched. Or like last week, me and Keenan went down and surfed blacks on on guns you know Sharky. like yeah like we didn't surf the biggest day but we surfed a solid day like keenan got <laughs> annihilated on one wave like he came up and i was looking to make sure he was okay like it yeah. was legit you know like there was legit waves and he hooked himself into this left and just the thing just warped out on him and just yeah but we had a great time and got some good waves and but yeah so it's everything from, then they want you to call him up next fall you know hell yeah <laughs> Lose my number on those. Hey, there's, guys. there's. I've seen a. I've seen a couple of video shots where I'm like, I'm not sure I, I do want to go out there. You yeah, know, like that's, it's that Zeke photo yeah, video. Yeah. Whatever. I'm, I'm, I've never seen Josh in my Kirk. life. The guy on the green. Josh, I've the, never seen that. That big. With the guy yeah. on the green board that, yeah. that eats it on the drop. Yeah. 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 That was a big. Like, that was a big one. Gnarly. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's in California. That's yeah. Like that, like yeah. that happens. Yeah. Like you know. And you know, there's not. There's like I think there's two places I've ever surfed on the West Coast that I would even Ocean slightly beach. compare to Hawaiian Power. One was Newport Point on a oh, yeah. massive south swell, like twenty foot face waves plus. Yeah. And Blacks is the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only two places where I'm kind of it's close. Yeah. You know? Was it Marie? That one south swell like ten years. Marie. Ago? Marie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Marie, oh, dude, yeah. we. Went yeah. down Newport Point. Back, yeah. yeah, it was like you can. You can get flogged. It was. And I got oh, yeah. massive, and I'm yeah. trying to. I'm waiting for the rights. I'm sitting over and trying to get rights. Right. Because like, yeah. there's like 50 people going left. Going left. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just like off the wall. I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm gonna go sit down yeah, by myself, catch a couple closeouts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, at least I'll be alone. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not a good idea. Yeah. No. It's so funny. it's so I'm I'm at that point now where it's all about just I want to have fun. I want to enjoy it no matter what the conditions are like. Yeah. And so all these That's different weird serve. boards, and I love the fact that people are doing really trippy weird boards now. Yeah. yeah. And the coolest part is. You can put so much more foam in them and make them really short, so you can still put them wherever you want. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't doesn't mean you have to have all this Should we bring foam. Back that oh one? my God! Look at that. Should we bring that yeah. one back? Look at that! Wow. 
Those airbrushes, man. Yeah, and look at the surf That's right awesome. there. Awesome. I love oh, that. Famous. Yeah. That's cool. Who's that? <laughs> I don't know. Let me see. Where'd you get The it? one next to me? Um, I don't know who that is. That's yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about the one next to me. I'm yeah, I don't know. Trying to figure out where that was or well, who I was staying with. Uh, <laughs> but um, Classic. yeah, just talking about, you know, the Hayward spray and, yeah. and having, or the logo yep. and having the spray with it. The wishbone. Yeah. 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 Back some memories. On the <laughs> www. Worldwide web. It was funny that the thing last night with PT, he had some footage and stuff that he gave me and I was able to like see all of us guys like in, like photos like that not that big but like where you've got the whole team together and, yeah. but we're like yeah. 17 you know yeah. and it's like look at Boothie when he was 17 so or look at Todd Holland when he was yeah. 14 or look at you yeah. know and you it's gotta like send me, man you gotta send me photos cool. here. you're yeah. in that one right I should be right I freaking where am I is that the one with the oh yeah right there yeah. I'm number 7 number 7 yeah. okay <laughs> I think that's me right <laughs> that's so awesome We'll, we'll be posting these guys on yeah. the Instagram handle. That epic. Classic. Number seven. Those are the ones that just bring back the classic memory. Because you, know, you don't remember think about it until you see it. You know, yeah. and you see it, you're like, oh, my God, look at yeah. this. Yeah. Board shorts were like three-inch inseams or two-inch inseams. <laughs> like just yeah. classic stuff. You yeah, know? it's so good. Yeah. Just rash to hell. Yeah. <laughs> just no, no stretch fast. No right? stretch. Yeah. No stretch. Wet suits, whatever. everything. Just, yeah. What do you mean? Pretty much hard canvas. <laughs> yeah. We're, does anybody ever wear a rash guard under their suit anymore? No. I've They're just yeah, wearing them for skin it. or some protection. Now. Right. Remember, we had to right. wear them religiously because right. you get freaking tore up. You yeah. get torn. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. I can't believe they sold overlock seams. <laughs> right? And we used to buy them. Well, that's how, remember, that's remember, how clothing's made, so yeah. that's how we'll just make it. Remember Bailey was like the, one of the first suits that came with like a, a carpety material on the inside? Right, like that one. You know, like yeah. now they put yeah. like yeah. the copper stuff and all these different yeah. things yeah. to make it warm. Well, nice. it was it was kind of like that, but it was like some material that was almost like carpeting, and it was it was in your pit, and it was like, dude, I don't know why you put this in here, but it's way worse than just regular neoprene. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. But Bailey was like the shit. You know, they were like yeah. the cool suits. So How funny. Yeah. Well, shit balls. I know it's uh, is, uh, been. We've been cranking three hours now. Holy crap. I know. When you guys said you might take a couple hours, I'm like, what What can we talk about for that long? I guess there's a lot to talk about. Not just in the surf world, but in the industry. Well, I guess when you realize you're 57 now, there's a lot to talk about, right? Which is good. Maybe a bad a little bit, but yeah, it's weird. I never thought I'd be 57. Not like I didn't think I'd make it. I just never imagined... Yeah, what fifty-seven would be like, yeah. you know, or fifty-eight or whatever, anywhere in this realm, you know, it's like I still can't believe I'm there because if you ask my wife or my kids, they think I'm like a twelve-year-old, you know, like, <laughs> like mentally, yeah. yeah, mentally I'm still a grom, you yeah. know. So I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, my wife has four kids. I always say I'm the fourth kid because right, yeah, thanks, yeah. Mom. She says that too. <laughs> yeah. So you have three? I have three. Yeah. Wow, you're bold. Busy. I got two, and that's. We're, yeah. we're, we're still in man-on-man defense. We haven't had to go zone yet. <laughs> so both um, graduated college. I got 25, wow. and my youngest, 22, just, just graduated. Nice. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. You are in so, the clear. Yeah. yeah, we're almost – we're technically not empty nesters. My youngest one's still around. She's, she's looking for what's next in you know job or whatever. Yeah. The other one um, comes home sporadically because she kind of works – um, she can work wherever she wants. She's working for a VC company, which is really cool. Um, so she was living in the Bay Area for a while in, in the city in San Francisco. And then now she's living in New York. Wow. Which is wild because it's 
freezing, number one, and it's crazy there, right? Yeah. I mean, New York's a nutcase right now. Well, any of so, the big cities are kind of gnarly. Right exactly. Yeah. And, and as dad, I get terrified that she's there, but, you know, she's having a blast. She's got a bunch of friends there, so they're having a good time, and I just keep my fingers crossed that yeah. nothing crazy goes down, you know, right. so. That's all you could ask for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But we um, a bunch of crazy shit. YMA, yeah. Close out YMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. can probably, no. There's a bunch of psychos out there, and you yeah. want them to be you know aware, aware. Yeah. yeah that's what i tell her i like, go if nothing else just be aware of your surroundings because yeah. then you can god forbid at least get away from a bad situation yeah, you know if, if you need to so but yeah but other than that i mean they're doing great they're they're both doing their thing and and uh and me and Dyer trying to figure out what's next exactly, yeah. you know, like sooner or later Hannah will, will move on and move out and do her thing and then it's Part you know empty nesters and yeah it's just like We'll see you on the North but, Shore, bro. Yeah, I, I hope I hope you'll see me more often in in tropical, warm places, getting yeah. barreled somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah, that, that's it. Definitely, it's what goal. we live for. Yeah, for well, sure. Barney, dude. dude. <laughs> Thanks for sitting down, and sharing your story. Awesome. Hey, my one, pleasure. One of Huntington Beach finest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank Congratulations you. Thank you. on everything. Yeah. You know, where you're at. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for the invite. I'm yeah. stoked to come and chat and hey, relive. We'll, we'll split the peak next time at Lower's yeah. or wherever. Yes, we will. That's <laughs> or, another thing those guys don't learn. Split the freaking peak. Yeah. Right? Like all these guys and they're like, you could easily split this with me, but no, you want the whole wave. Yeah. 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 So Take I like, left, go right. I like oh, the split. On. Yeah. I like the split. <laughs> all right. We'll leave it at that. Thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Peace. Awesome. Bonsai Bulls. Hands down the best bulls, period. Seven locations. Two in Hawaii, five in Southern California, Bonsai Bowls. Go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill. Clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You can also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen. The best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade sunscreen. It's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. sunscreen. <laughs> Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Foo Wax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.